0: to the Saturday Night South podcast. Okay. He is Chris Marler. I am Howard okay. Hero. Marler, very, very important question. What did you watch more of this weekend, the XFL or the Oscars?
1: Oh, XFL. I didn't watch any of the Oscars. I watched it. I watched the the uh, what do you call it? I watched people talk about it afterwards. Like I saw like the recap, and I saw Parasite one, which I haven't seen that movie yet. Um, and then I saw Joaquin Phoenix go off about cow stuff and that was uh it's interesting it's not often you want somebody to go back into talking about politics yeah and i think that was one of them for me that was um man <laughs> i just made real fired up about cows i mean just real fired up about cows
0: we've got peak off season content in the intro um i watched way yeah. way more of the xfl yeah um, you did though i did watch a decent amount of the oscars as well we were watching miss congeniality before which is just an all-time great rom-com if you don't like miss congeniality yeah. I don't
1: know, man. I don't know. It's a great movie. I haven't man. seen it in way too long. I made the mistake of right before my off day, um, which is like last Friday, I guess. I don't know. I, uh, I, I couldn't get to sleep the night before, and I took way too much melatonin. Oh. Like to where I thought that the melatonin milligrams were like way less than the ones I took. Okay. Like that, I thought they were gummies that were like one milligram a piece. They were five. Oh. So I was pretty much out for most of Friday, which was not great. Nice. Was not my favorite.
0: I actually drove down uh, Friday. I was at uh, I was at IMG doing a little bit of oh, boots nice. on the ground reporting for uh, for a story I'm working on about uh, Justin Jefferson. It was it was the first time I think I've actually watched in person football players lift weights. And I know that sounds like yeah, a I weird thing. Yeah, I can tell thing. from that text. No, because I, I, so, that sounds like a weird thing because we, 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 hear, we hear stuff about it all the time. We'll see hype videos or whatever where, like, it's in the locker room and yeah. it looks really intense. But, like, actually sitting there in, in the weight room with them, and I meant hype videos where they're inside the, the weight room, not the locker room. Um, but, like, actually sitting there watching Kayla von Chasen squat close to 400 pounds like it was nothing – was yeah. like, oh, I've never actually done this where I've been like the other guy in the gym with them. Um, yeah. So that was way different. And watching the way that some of these guys lift, because that was basically all I was, all I was there for. I watched them lift for like two hours, and I did my the interviews creep. and stuff after. Yeah, I was, I was a certified creep. Um, But it was it was great. And so, uh, yeah, I'll have a story on that. And got to talk with Justin Jefferson and Grant Delpit. And um, got to kind of see a lot of those guys up close. Very star-studded room. Like DeAndre Swift was there. Um, had nice. a lot of different LSU guys. Christian Fulton was there as well. Um, mentioned Chase and Michael Divinity. Just a lot of, uh, of different star-studded um, potential first-round guys as well. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun weekend for the both of us, it sounds like. Yeah. Let's talk. Um, so we have a lot to get to. We have an interview that we just recorded with Tom Hart. Which was just, um, man, it, it was great. It, it was peak Tom Hart. For those of you who don't know, he is a play by play announcer now for the XFL. He is still doing SEC hoop stuff as well. So we got to dig into a lot of different stuff there. So we are going to talk a little bit um, about both of those subjects. We have uh, some stuff that we want to go through with SEC quarterbacks because. We haven't had a chance to talk about necessarily the KJ Costello news and I want to talk about kind of a, the, the overall impact and what that sort of prompted me into thinking. Um, and then some stuff about freshman quarterbacks in the SEC as well, because I think that's a more relevant topic than maybe, at least from myself personally, maybe a more relevant topic that I gave it, than I gave it credit for last year. So I want to dig into some of the stuff about potential freshmen starting quarterbacks in the SEC in 2020. But before we get to all of that, and a little discussion about new new Gus opening, we we, got
1: to basketball.
0: Well, we did. (laughs) We were going to do a little bit. I wanted to talk a little bit with uh, with Tom Hart. You know, I we were able to to dig into. If you're um, a fan of a certain um, team in the state of Mississippi, you're going to be very happy with what Tom Hart has said about your team. Spoiler alert there. Um, But I mean, we we can. Do you want to talk SEC basketball right now?
1: I, I will say off the top I really enjoyed like on Saturday that's what I've all I've been doing from like like start to finish usually on Saturdays now and then it's like we've designated Sunday as like little dog park day which is always nice take kisses at the dog park um, but Saturday it's because it starts like I don't I'm not a fan of the college game day the basketball college game day. it's just it's too removed from the fans in my opinion I don't really. And it's, it's not. It's not obviously as big as the one they have for football. I love Jay Billis, but watching SC basketball because it's getting like less than a month for the regular season. That Auburn LSU game on Saturday, that went to overtime. Oh, it's electric! It has been, it's been, awesome. is awesome. It's awesome. It's been awesome, and it's it's fun to watch. I think because you know, like I said, they're getting down to like the last like less than a month ago, Bama's doing what they always do this time of year, where they just choke. And so I'm just I'm watching the entire league, but it's it's interesting to watch because. This is the point where you look for everyone to separate themselves, and it's so clear as day to look at when there's like, you have three teams side at the top, Auburn, LSU, Kentucky, and all three of those teams are, there's literally three of the four total teams in the entire conference that have a winning record on the road. Like, the rest of the league, it's just so night and day what, like, the elite teams are, are able to do, and I will say, it's it's been frustrating in some sense because... Florida fans, I'm not gonna get on to you too much because I know you're already mad Yikes. enough. It's just like I kept saying, like, like, when is when are they gonna turn the corner? And it seems like they are turning the corner and it's not, not the corner they were hoping to be turning. Um, but it's it's starting to get a little bit worrisome because I honestly thought, you know, going going into March Madness, we would have not ten teams at all in like in the tournament, but I thought there'd be ten teams that might have a viable shot at maybe getting in. And it's just not the case. Like we're we're yeah. looking at like maybe four or five, like at, at the on the low end, which is not, not great.
0: Yeah, it's kind of going back to what it was like three years ago. Even you got Vandy beating
1: LSU. I mean, dude, I wasn't thrilled about that. How much did you have on uh, LSU? I didn't have any on LSU. I had them in a parlay, so I had a little bit on LSU. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I mean, it's yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna get too much into it. Um, all, all it's funny too because like all my guys, like my I have like buddies that are. More into gambling than I am, shocking. What? Um, I know, right? But so, because, because I this like basketball. Like, I just don't know enough about basketball for me to like invest a substantial amount of money into. So, my I have this buddy. I'm gonna. He's gonna remain nameless. And I talked to my my actual bookie bookie the other day, and and I was like, "What do you see in action on now that football's over?" And he's like, "Dude, tennis is like the degenerates' dream." I've heard that. And I was like, "What do you?" So, and I have two, and I've never really got into it. But one of my buddies, who's like, he's. He's big into it, like not like big where he puts like a bunch of money up, but he's just like fascinated like I am with it. And he's like, "Hey, I got a tennis guy." I'm like, "What do you mean you got a tennis like? Of course. I, I, who has a tennis guy?" Dude went like 21 and two in the Australian Open, so now I have a tennis guy. <laughs> so, yes. uh, so anyway, that's what's going on. And then uh, I would be remiss to uh, if we moved on from the basketball segment without me saying that um, Bama had a good win in Athens. That was all I'll say. You want to say anything else, sir? Or- is that all you're going to say? It's overtime. It was nice. It was a nice. Nice, nice little... They we not got to make the tournament? No, no chance, ever. We'll go to the NIT and get bounced in the first round. as a one seat. That's what we do best. All right. I do want to say one listener, give a shout-out, and I can't remember their name. This is my fault. They went to Athens for the first time. They went to Amici, based on the recommendation we had last week. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. And they went, they went there. It was their first time in Athens, and it was... They said they went to Amici. They had... Um, they had uh, 10 Honey Hot Wings. They had like I think they had a slice of pizza as well. Um, and I believe they said the fries. But it was, uh, I gave them a shout out on Twitter. And then we gave, uh, I, I actually sent the same text. I like got a screenshot of the text to my buddy that owns it, Barry Westbrook. And then my other buddy, Josh Gentrop. And um, can't say thank you enough for going to support that. And I'm glad that they got to, they had a good nice. trip to Athens. It's great.
0: Nice. Let's talk some XFL opening weekend stuff because we both were able to consume some of it. I didn't watch every second of XFL. Believe it or not, Uh, when you're married, your wife doesn't want to (laughs) watch nine hours or ten hours of of XFL. Um, The neon team. (laughs) The XFL opening weekend
1: in one word was what? I chose the word promising. What word would you choose? See, I don't want to say promising, and I think it's because of the same reasons you highlighted in your article today. Shameless plug for you. Thank you. About the XFL, um, and that's because that's the same thing we said for the AAF last year. I will say, this is not one word, so I'm, I'm just going completely away from what you asked me to do. But, um, you know, last year it seemed like from day one with the AAF, it seemed like a novelty. It seemed like it was something we were going to watch but not take nearly as serious um, as, as, as the Opening of, weekend of the AAF was good, and but the, the issue was... Not like this.
0: Uh, yeah, maybe not to that extent. But if you go back and look at a lot of the things that were being written, it was like, "Hey, this is this is fun. This is exciting. This is something that's long overdue." We couldn't yeah. necessarily foresee all the business issues that came about so quickly. And when you're watching right. within the confines of a game, obviously we don't know the future business decisions that go in to the XFL. That's the one thing I'll, I'll say in defense of yeah. of at least well, at least I guess in both leagues.
1: I just I thought I think promising is a good word for it. Uh, even though you know, like we said, like it, we kind of had the same thoughts on that last year. The AAF. I just thought this was a little bit different. And, and I'll be the first to admit that I was wrong, even on the stuff that I kind of crapped on um, before the week with like the the onside or not the onside kick the uh, the kickoff the like the way the kickoff rule is. Um, I thought that was great. I thought I th- it looks different. Yeah. It but it, it was it was great. I, th- I thought it was really good. I, I didn't see a single punt. I will say that. Um, oh, there
0: was the punt that uh, Marquette, and yes, it's his name is Marquette as he pronounced before the game. Marquette King, the okay. former Oakland Raiders punter, he had this unbelievable punt that Pat McAfee like freaked out about because it oh, sure. went to the one yard line, and then somebody, somebody on his team came in and then did, did essentially like a Leon Let thing and trying no. to fall on the ball, and it went into the end zone. And then Pat McAfee interviewed him, like, two seconds later. It was electric. It was great TV. But That's pretty cool. Um, I mean, so there was there was punts. But, yeah, it's so weird because if you punt or kick the ball into the end zone, you're, you're just, like, banned for life from the league. The, the punishments are so severe for punting Wait, or kicking the ball out of bounds. Yes. Yeah, so if you punt the ball, it's into the end zone, or um, if you punt the ball into the end zone or through the back of the end zone – The ball comes out to the receiving team's 35-yard line. So what it, essentially that is going to do for all of these coaches who punt the ball when they're in the opposing team's territory, it's going to make them say, why won't I just go for it here? Because if yeah. if I have a bad punt, it's going to come out to the 35 anyways. And then if you have a kickoff that goes out of bounds, it like comes out to the to the kicking team's 45. It's like a long return, essentially, if you kick the ball out of oh, bounds. Man. It's
1: huge. But it, All I can think of is is the kid from Georgia. <laughs> is like What's his Camarda, name? Michael yeah, Camarda. Yeah, Camarda. Uh, I'm still mixing his name up with, with Tiffany Canada from our group. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from yeah, that's the, exactly what we do. But um and he he ended up after I called him out on that, he ended up having like he a heard. phenomenal rest of the year. Um but yeah, that's that's crazy. I didn't realize that, that was uh those are the rules.
0: I love the transparency though.
1: And, and I think yeah. that the
0: overall vision was good. And I think a lot of the, the the things that they put in place were done with the right intentions. I absolutely love the fact that we can hear a replay official and the head official talk through a replay. And there is a Mm -hmm. camera in the replay booth on the 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 replay official that shows exactly what they're looking at and then them saying down to the, the head official on the field, hey, the ball needs to go onto this yard line, this is the time right. that it stopped, all these different things to make it more transparent so that it kind of takes some of the edge off of it. I sort of felt like even if there was a wrong call in that scenario, you as a fan watching it would be a little bit less mad because it, it sort of humanizes it and it makes it so that you're not just like, oh, this is, you know, they're just talking over some bad call and this is going to come out and it's going to look really dumb and there's no accountability for it.
1: I agree on that. I agree on that 100%. And that is one thing that I thought that was the single best part of of like the limited things that I saw from the XFL this weekend because I saw a couple of reviews. I saw one yesterday in the Tampa Bay-New York game where it was like a first down from like their own four and Aaron Murray hit the tight end. He They were wondering if he made a football move because he fumbled and it was returned for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And uh, watching the replay, I I like I think out of, out of almost like PTSD like knee jerk reaction, I immediately turned the channel because I was like already pissed yep. because that is the you phrased it best and this, the whole thing about talking over a a a, a bad call th- that that's one of the things that was so infuriating so many times this season. I don't give a blank about the NFL, but in, in college football especially when it was like I kept saying like they need to stop making themselves so prevalent in each and every game and and, and they've been they've been such a and honestly, like, a disaster. And it's not just one like one league, necessarily. It's just been, they make themselves, they insert themselves into too many big moments. And I think there were so many times this past year where it'd be like, you'd have the guy in the booth it's like, yeah, I agree with you guys. That's a bad call. It needs to be overturned. And they'd go back to the field, and it's like, call stands. And you're like, how in the mother <laughs> F? Like, yeah. oh, man.
0: The transparency was great, though. I like the... They'll have to figure out the balance for this because they might have overdone it in the first week where they had sideline reporters interviewing pretty much everyone. Um, that was a little bit yeah. of a weird element where, oh, you fumble you fumble a punt? Let's interview you and, and and find out what exactly happened. That was kind of bizarre. There was one shot where, you know, I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was D- DC scored a touchdown and Diana Rossini is in the end zone trying to interview them as they're celebrating the touchdown. And it was it's just a little bit awkward from that perspective. And then the the whole coaches calling plays on live tv so that you can hear it is really cool and i like it because and i'm sure it helps out the color commentators a lot because they can essentially draw up the play before it's even happening and it makes you feel like you're watching a replay but the tough thing is sometimes as we know from podcasting if two people are talking no people are talking like that's that's the awkward thing that they need to be able to figure out because from a production standpoint it doesn't. It's not going to work if you have color commentators that are constantly talking over Jim Zorn or Mark Tressman. I mean, what a what a sentence that is in itself.
1: Yeah, for real. I was. That is that is one part. And I, I will say the one thing I don't like about it. And this is just going to come off as me being somewhat petty, but also just one thing I don't like about the NFL. And that is, I love the fact there's an African American head coach for DC. And I love the fact there's like more opportunities. for that Because I think that's something that's glaringly missing in the NFL in the NFL I think it's glaring I think it's a huge, huge I mean like dude and I can't think of his name right now Eric but if you tell me right now Eric Bieniemy yeah. the Chiefs offensive coordinator if you tell me that that guy doesn't deserve a shot and it pisses me off so much and I'm going to get heated here but it makes me so frustrated when I watch the NFL cuz it's like you have this we always say there's like a revolving door in some places where it's like 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 Cleveland for where sure. it's like a guy's going out like constantly and like you give him like a couple years Tressman was, was he was the head coach I think for, for the, the Bears, Bears yeah, one yeah unfortunately yeah and so and and it like the fact that Jerry Glanville is is coaching in in the XFL, and I know it's the XFL, and it's not like it's a like, glamorous thing. And maybe Jerry Glanville is a perfect person to be in the XFL. I don't know, but the fact that he was also in the AAF and he was a coach in the NFL, I hate the fact that they just kind of regurgitate these same people and and these same names. It's like you know what, that guy was a coach. He he's the he's a head coach again. Yeah, it, it's like we used to joke around about how the fact that like if you were a, a like a decent punter or kicker, or you were you were in a good second string quarterback man if you if you got one win you pretty much just guarantee yourself hey I've got a job in the NFL for life as a backup quarterback and somehow that became a a thing for coaches and it just pisses me off because it's like dude there's a reason you were fired flat out there's a reason you were fired so how are you getting these, these same opportunities I'll get off my soapbox so are you
0: saying you like the XFL what they've been doing with the coachings? Uh, like some of the coaching I, hours? I I
1: did like the fact that 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 there was an African American head coach. That's what oh, okay. I, okay. I, I like it. I like the fact they instantly gave more opportunities. I wish that that would translate more to the NFL. I agree with that. Um, I, I think
0: that the coaches are going to sort of get coaches and players are sort of going to going to get sick of the constant interviews on the sideline. They're going to be a little bit frustrated yeah. with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I liked also, and this was. Number one thing for Uncle Chris watching this game: the fact that you Can't can win. have betting lines on TV on the entire time. And I know you don't like him. I know you don't like Steve Levy at all. But listening to him actually talk about how a missed field goal impacted the spread and how it impacted the over, that was super yeah. refreshing to hear. And it wasn't I, like Brent Musburger slipping in a little a little hint about gambling. It was actually right. talking about gambling on a live ABC broadcast. What a concept!
1: Yeah, it's it, you know I, it's, the fact that. The fact that people think it's like taboo is so weird to me. It's, it's not it's anymore. Like, you just, pre- just choose not to do it. Yeah. Just choose not to do it. It's bottom line. Um, the yeah, and Steve Levy. I don't. I don't dislike Steve Levy. I dislike his partner a whole bunch. Yeah, Brian Greasy, uh, yeah. yeah, He was the worst. And, and I, I do want to say one thing real quick, just to clarify my my previous statements on the thing, because I don't like. I'm not trying to make a political stance here at all. I because I think you should hire the right guy, regardless of race. I don't care about like if if, if that's the right person. I just think that. I get tired of seeing the same faces. That's yeah, all no, saying. that's fair. I you know think that's I mean? fair. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's that's all I meant. Um, you mean just hire the right guy. But yeah, I thought I thought it was interesting. I tell you one disappointing thing, and I see it here in the notes too, so I know you saw it. And, and I know Georgia fans think I give them like a lot of crap and, and a lot of times, but that sucked. The Aaron Murray thing sucked. He had a rough day. He had a rough day.
0: That's, he was mean... trending on Twitter, which. You never want Which to trend on good. Twitter when you've thrown multiple interceptions, and it just everybody who was watching that game was saying, "Oh, this is why he didn't start for the Atlanta Legends for so yeah. long." When you know he actually played pretty well for the Legends on the stretch, but our guy Aaron was—he was, could have got some help
1: too on a couple things. Yeah, that's true. He he did have he did have a really nice ball that he put into a very tight window uh, early on. I think it was like their scoring drive where they ended up coming away with a field goal. I think because they got into the red zone several times and just didn't come away with. With anything, but I tell you what, man, you go up against that Guardians defense, you're I mean, you're asking for a long day, brother. Yeah,
0: that's what that's what I always say. Um, a lot of empty seats. People don't like watching games in which people aren't at. But I will say this: gambling has potential to be the great equalizer, and their yep. ability to address that because that is so much of your audience. And now they've done things with. The, with the way that they have the scoring system set up to where a nine-point game is still a one-possession game, what they've done yep. with inside two minutes at the end of each half to be able to say, we only have a play clock that's 25 seconds. That's how it is throughout the game. But the five-second um, five stoppage that you get for any play, even if, it, if it's a play that, that stops inbounds, that you get within those two minutes... They yep. want these games to be closer. They want fans to yeah. be engaged yep. for the entire game. They want the person who's gambling on the game to have to sweat it out. They're they're conscious of all of these things and i kind of like that and i I don't know whether or not the xfl is going to be around in four or five years i'm not definitively saying that it will but if this improves football for the better like what the original xfl did people forget Mm -hmm. that with a lot of the camera angles that they did for the xfl were revolutionary and the nfl copied all of those if there's some sort of positive impact with big time football i'm here for it and i'm not going to pretend like the xfl is just this fad that's going to go
1: away all of a sudden are you gambling now? What's going on with you? I'm not. I'm I mean, just very like, interested. It's it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it really that's is. how it starts. It really is. Uh, let me tell you about tennis real quick. <laughs> um, no, I, I will say I will say. Yeah, I was proud of myself because, dude, when the XFL or when the AAF hit last year, I like from from game one, I was like, in, let's do this. Who are we gambled on? Didn't know anything about the teams. Yep. I didn't gamble on a single uh, XFL game this week. Well you next I weekend? I'm trying to. Oh, definitely a thousand. Percent. I think you have to um, now that you got but, a but proof see, of
0: concept too. You can kind of see, all right, what do these teams do yeah. week one? Not as much of a mystery. Right.
1: I, I think one thing that's cool about this, and I think part of it, part of it goes. This, this is a thing that happened, I think, in the AAF as well, but um, with the AAF really like diminishing because I, I don't think the people were choosing the XFL over AAF necessarily. Bob Stoops did, um, but the players, I don't think this he did. One thing I think that like Greg McElroy touched on this at one point, which was he brought up the fact that like. Like, people don't understand this when they when they transition from college to the NFL a lot, but it's just like a loss on people for whatever reason is those fifty three man rosters in the NFL are not easy to make. They're not. It's just flat out not easy to make And There's a reason why you know like people get worried. It's like well you know like he, he was undrafted. A lot of the, a lot of the people that get drafted in the sixth seventh round don't make a roster. Yeah, at all just because you were drafted late. Like, like honestly, like if you're not drafted like if you're you're not drafting the top four rounds, you're not necessarily. It doesn't look great for you to land on a team. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's kind of a crapshoot after that, Um, and that's why a lot of times I think if you're a free agent and you get to choose where you go, that's that's usually a better fit for you uh, coming out of college. But but a lot of these guys that were playing the XFL, they were there's a there's not that much of a difference or a gap like a talent gap between. I'm not saying between them and NFL stars or NFL Pro Bowlers or NFL starters even. But there's not that much of a talent gap between them and, I don't know, the bottom 10 on that roster? Yeah, th- there's it's just opportunity. Nine. It's all about so, opportunity. Yeah, I like seeing Cardell
0: yeah. Jones, Jordan Tamu, these guys who, you know, you kind of wonder what life could have been like had they just gone to the right situation out of college. I'm not yeah. saying that they would have had success in a variety of places, but you just kind of wonder. You see the talent out there on the field, and you think, you know, they're, they're, these guys could make le- next-level throws, and it's nice that they're going to be getting yeah. this, this sort of opportunity. Bradley Silva's best defensive player in the league. There you go. Wow, that's a fire take. You're going to be gambling on that, that specific aspect next week, aren't Not you? No doubt, yeah, yeah. For sure. He's got a good lead. Let's, let's transition back to the SEC. We've got to lay to rest new Gus. We haven't had a chance to do this just yet, but after the comments that he made after signing day, I thought it was sort of appropriate that we lay new Gus to rest. Now, if you're wondering what exactly those comments were, Gus Melzon came out and said that Chad Morris has play-calling duties because he is the best offensive coordinator in college football. That is the only reason that Gus gave up his play-calling duties. The thing that we praised him for throughout the entire offseason, and we said new Gus is an alpha, he's popping wheelies on his motorcycles, he's doing curls, new Gus is here to stay. He's gone. He's dead. He has given away his play-calling duties to Chad Morris, and he has essentially said, I'm going to basically... Base, base my entire future on whether or not you can succeed with Bo Nicks, And I man, what sort I, of puked uh, in I... my mouth saying
1: that. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like it's like two things, man. I'll tell you what. And, and New Gus, we'll give you a proper send-off here. Uh, I've got gum in right now, which I know you hate, but... You've got gum it's recording a podcast? It's, it's specifically for this segment, because the fact that Gus, New Gus, Old Gus, is always just chomping down on gum. But this reminds me of that scene in the Step Brothers. When he comes in and he's like... Yeah, I I went to I woke up at ten AM this morning. I'm miserable. Like he's just traded in like all of his action figures, his his night vision goggles. He traded in, he got he'd get insurance. He started using baby baby Tylenol, which is, you know, they'd say it's better for, for hard health. Bought toilet paper. A um, lot of it. A lot of toilet paper. A lot of toilet paper. Um it, it's this is I just I, I picture old Gus just running around gallivanting, if you will, around town um and Auburn just running amok and now he's just you know he's the old dude he's still going to Waffle House but it's not at 3 a.m. anymore after a long night it's at 6 a.m. with all the other regulars <sighs> where like Tanya Tucker's on the jukebox and he's reading like a paper by himself in a at, at the counter by himself but still saying stuff out loud like this <laughs> I'll be this country is going to hell in a handbasket that's that's the new new Gus that's the
0: difference three hours could make difference between 3am yeah, and 6am. <laughs> Significant, let me tell you. Does new Gus just go to the grave and tag team old Gus and they just do sort of a swap where, you know how you see the Undertaker gift all the time? Is there something no. with, with somebody that just climbs into a grave? Because I feel talking
1: like... about spirits
0: from the dead? Yes. What are you
1: talking about, crazy? That's what I'm crazy? talking
0: about. That's what I'm talking okay. about. But this comment, like Chad Morris. <laughs> this comment raised eyebrows, and understandably so, because I have said many times before, look... I think that there are people in college football who are better suited to be assistants rather than head coaches. I think Chad Morris is one of them. I think Chad Morris is going to have more success as a coordinator yeah. than he will have had as a head coach, which isn't saying a whole
2: lot. What a
1: hot take, man. Yeah. really yeah. <laughs> set the bar
0: pretty only low. The only way to go so. is up. But I went and looked back at this because I wanted to figure out— Is Gus a little bit off his rocker to say this? I I know everybody credits Deshaun Watson's success to Chad Morris bringing him to Clemson. I, I get all of that. But I wanted to kind of go back and look and try and figure out, is this actually a legitimate thing to say? And there's a point that I want to make with all this. So if you look at his scoring offenses from the five years in which Chad Morris was an offensive coordinator, which, by the way, not that long of a time to do that. 2010, when he was at Tulsa, he had the number five offense in the country. 2011, when he went to Clemson, number 24, and then number 6, number 8, and number 53 offense in America in 2014. That was after Taj Boyd graduated. Taj Boyd came out last week and said he thinks BoneX is going to have a monster year with Chad Morris calling yeah. the plays. I say all of this because I kind of wonder, have defenses caught up to Chad Morris' offense? And is it fair to wonder if this is just... Look, he was, ahead of, he was ahead of the curve at the time. And, and that was back in the era when, you know, at the start of the 2010s, when mobile quarterbacks who can stretch the field were still considered somewhat of an anomaly. Anomaly. I can't even say that this. word. I got this. But I sort of wonder, looking at his lack of success against Power 5 opponents during his time as a head coach as well, a time in which he averaged 18 points against power five defenses, did not beat a single power five team during his time as a head coach at SMU and as his time as a head coach at Arkansas. And I sort of just wonder, how can we definitively say that this guy is going to be good as a coordinator? I just don't know because all the quarterbacks that he shuffled through last year, last two years, seven quarterbacks. And it's like, you're not willing to adjust your system to the, to fit the personnel. Bo Nix is going to be the starting quarterback. Are we really sure that Chad Morris's offense is going to blend perfectly with Bo Nix? I don't know. I honestly don't have any idea. No, and Gus has so much more confidence not. than I
1: do. Okay, here. Yeah, he does. Here's the thing. You talk about Chad Morris was a great offensive coordinator at Clemson. Blah 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 blah. Um, they had they had twenty. You brought up like the the years they had here, right? And you said got better I'm like, after he I left. Sure, I have this right. So in 2012, 2013, they did get better after he left. 2012 and 2013, he was sixth and eighth in the country in scoring defense, right? Or scoring offense. Then they dropped to 53. So in 2012 and 2013, they were actually ranked ninth both years in total offense, yards per game, right? You know where they dropped to in 2014? With Taj Boyd.
0: Taj Boyd was gone in
1: 2014. Okay, sorry, yeah, you're right, you're right. Deshaun Watson um, so they, was there. They only, there in they only in they part. had Deshaun Watson. He was there in part, okay, but he was point. not
0: the full time starter in 2014. I think he only started three or right. four games that year.
1: So. Do you know what? Do you know what? Uh, what they're ranked in total offense? Sixty-first. Oh, I was gonna say 69th. There you go. Um, almost, almost right in the middle. When you look at Chad Morris, and I don't want to say that he, was, he had guys that made him better than he was, but um, let me say this this way. He had guys that made him better than he was. Because when Taj Boyd was there in 2013, not only was Taj Boyd there, and talk about that 2012 team as well, you also had Sammy Watkins, who was a first-round draft pick. You also had Newt Hopkins, Newt Hopkins uh, who who is one of the best receivers in the league. You had guys like Mike Williams, who was a five-star. Artavius Scott who was a five-star. Jordan Leggett, who was a, a, like a big, highly-ranked tight end. Um, the running back situation. You had Ellington. You had you had all these guys that you brought in. There were five stars that really didn't do much under him besides Watkins and Hopkins. He, I think, he was greatly helped from those two seasons. And the fact that you had a guy like Taj Boyd, who was, I think, one of the more underrated. He he was basically, he was basically Clemson's Aaron Murray. He was a a, a guy that ate up stat books yep. like for like it just. his entire career was is one of the he's one of those guys that really helped turn that entire program helped turn the corner to kind of make it into what it is today but we see how much they struggled when he was gone and i don't care what he did at smu because i I think that led him to arkansas and we saw how bad he was literally like with quarterbacks this past season so i don't think that i'm not saying this because it's auburn at all i think one there's a reason why booby whitlow is gone and i know we're going to talk about that in a second But there's a reason why a guy like that, who's your leading running back in this in this offense from last year, is gone. And I think one of the reasons why Gus is – like, I think this I think it's not a super big difference in terms of their philosophies of their offenses. But I think that Chad Morris is going to try to air the ball out, and in my opinion, they're going to yep. throw the ball at least a lot more than they did last Which year. Which is crazy! And when you have a guy like Bo Nix, I – I don't see like he listen. He was a freshman last year, and I don't want to be too hard on him because he was a freshman. And he made some big time throws. He made some big time throws in that Bama game. But it's also a guy that we saw, like like Will put it best. There's like three to five times in every single game that Bo Nix played, no matter what it was. There was three to five times that he did something like, "Whoa, like how did he do that?" And there were three to five times that were like, "Jesus, why did he do that?" And and I I think that you know he'll improve upon the mistakes and be a better player when he's not a true freshman in the sec but how what's the ceiling dude like is he gonna all of a sudden just is he gonna be taj boyd because i don't see it you
0: know what no auburn fan said last year hey we should throw the ball more
1: we need an extra second on the clock (laughs) i knew that was gonna come up at some point
0: no (laughs) auburn fan actually thought that they needed to throw the ball more chad morris is going to throw the ball more why that worries me is because you've got one returning offensive lineman it's a center You've got yeah. you've got your blind side to be able to protect. You've got your I mean, the, the protection that Bonix is gonna have to get to be able to run Chad Morris's offense, I, I think is questionable. I, I really do. And now, you know, we hear the the surprising, surprising news that came out on signing day about Booby Whitlow entering the transfer that portal. Was. And that news hits you and you're like, wait a minute, this is somebody who led the team in rushing each of the last two years. It's not like they all Each also... of the
1: last two years.
0: Right. Not like they all of a sudden got a new head coach. He's not going to be a grad transfer, so it's not like he's got eligibility immediately or something like that. He's seeking something closer to home or whatever it is. You didn't necessarily hear the exact reason of why he transferred, but I would be surprised if Chad Morris's offense, which is going to feature the running backs catching more out of the backfield as opposed to you know getting their traditional workload, that's going to be more of a part of it. I'd be surprised if that wasn't some sort of a factor. I think that's, that's fair to at least wonder about, right?
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I think, and, and to be fair, I don't know that that's why he left. Nor do but I. That, that, is, that is the reason why I would like, if you're looking at it, you're like, hold on. Why would the lead running back in a Gus Malzahn offense. He was going to be
0: the guy. There's no question about that. Leave.
1: Yeah. And, and I you could, you could maybe say like, you know, maybe it's because he didn't have that offensive line comeback and he was worried about that. Sure, I, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe it was, but I, I don't think that's what it was. And what worries me on this is, you know, they, they get Anthony Schwartz coming back. because he's somehow only a sophomore this year? Is he? He's debating coming been back. There since he's 1979.
0: debating. He's debating though, because he's he's considering. A, is he officially? I don't think he's officially announced whether or not he's going to. I have no idea. But I wish
1: the NCAA would stop screwing around. Let him go run the Olympics and win a gold medal for the country, and then come back. I'd be on board. With I'll that say it. it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 let, let, let me be the um, first to say. Yeah. Let me be the first to say it. Uh. You know, you lose you lose Sal Canella, You lose Will Hastings. You get Eli Stove back, which is good. But you don't have a receiver besides Seth Williams. And Seth Williams is good. I thought Seth Williams was good. You don't have a guy that's like necessarily like, that guy's going to go up and get it, and he's going to be the difference maker. Like I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. He's Seth Williams is a, is a good receiver. I think he's a really good SEC receiver. He's not a Jamar Chase or a Jerry Judy. Bonix a doesn't like have a, a
0: bunch of guys who are going to make him look better than he is.
1: Right, that's the best way to put it. And and, and maybe Bo Nix, I, I'm fully aware that Bo Nix was, was a, a state champion. I'm, I'm fully aware, I think he was a state champion. Yeah. Maybe I'm not fully aware of that. Okay, I'm, I'm definitely fully aware that he was an All-American and a five-star in all good stuff. What worries me is, and I, we said this going into the last season, it, it does make a difference when you have five starting linemen coming back going into a season, especially when the adverse of that going into this year is that you have one, and it's your center, which is, that's if you could choose one, besides maybe left tackle, maybe that's the guy. I just I don't I don't know how this is going to play out because these other guys and I'm sure there's at least one angry Auburn fan listening to this right now that's like well Sean Stivers, he's he's a guy that blew up Xavier Xavier McKinney. I am all in by
0: the way I am all in on the Sean Shivers DJ Williams combination I've, I I said to you during so mad at you I said to you during that LSU game I'm like I, I really no, like Connor Williams a lot.
1: let me say it for you because I when you said this I I literally. It, you over the roar of Death Valley, I think you could hear my eyes roll. Yes, because because he he literally said DJ Williams breaks off this long ass run, right? And, he, and I will say to this day, he ran himself out of bounds, and Auburn could have won that game if he didn't run himself out of bounds. I'm not going to give Grant put the credit on that, but he goes out of bounds at like I don't know, like the he it's like a 70 yard run, and, and Connor tells me he goes. I think DJ Williams is the next great Auburn back, and I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> I've been, prisoner of the moment. I've been no,
0: I, I said that the week before. I said that on the podcast before that no, because it, I was talking. It was about, definitely after. No, I had said it. I had said it before because I was talking about it during the Arkansas game. I remember, and I remember thinking to myself, "Okay, this guy actually has." A, we asked we asked Cole about him too, and I remember we we had talked about him more. But we had talked about him because booby Whitlow we thought was going to be out until that Georgia game, and he had been yeah. out with that injury, and all of a sudden, like. Because we were twenty rows up on the fifty-yard line, shout out Mickey Sheramy, and we Again, were wondering reality. why in the world is Booby Whitlow on the exercise bike? We didn't even think that this guy was going to be dressed. And this is one of those things that when you're at a game, you don't necessarily consume Twitter or whatever in the same way that yeah. you would typically. So we didn't see any sort of update on Booby Whitlow until we saw it with our own eyes that he was on the sideline. And there were people that were sort of wondering, you know, because that was a really awkward dynamic. He apparently wanted more work in that game. He felt like he could have made a difference, but he was still. I thought at least a month removed or like a month shy of when he was supposed to come back or whatever it was. And so there were people wondering, maybe there was some sort of rift with the coaching staff that started then. I don't know, but I was, I remember being surprised at how awkward that situation was and thinking that I did not expect to see him on the field at all that day.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, I will say to be fair, um, I mean Tank Bigsby coming in. He's he's I in some some people have said he's great the number one recru- in the uh, number one running back. Yeah, for real. Um like he, he needs to put on twenty pounds before he's like Tank needs to yeah, gain. I hope I hope yeah, I hope I hope he puts on twenty pounds and just runs over people, minus everyone. Like Sean Shivers. Oh. Sorry. Yeah, there it is. Um No, I mean like I and I don't that's have to say that DJ Williams and Sean Shivers might not be great, but it's just it's a concerning thing. I think it would be a concerning thing I hope this doesn't go off like it did with uh with the LSU stuff when when we would like say something which you seem so simple and being like hey it's concerning you're losing 14 starters right and then LSU fans some LSU fans were like you're an idiot it's not concerning at all we're going like we're going to reload all all I'm saying is the booby with though thing is kind of concerning and it it leads me to think they're going to try to throw the ball more and I think again I think Seth Williams I said it going into last season. He was one of the one of the guys. I, I think put in my top ten for guys I thought was going to emerge and turn the corner as one of the stars in the SEC. I, I don't know if you could say he necessarily did that because that receiver class last year in the SEC was absolutely loaded. Really good. It could be a guy that does that this year. And and he's 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 a you know he, he's kind of a mismatch for for a lot of a lot of DBs in the SEC. I just don't know if that's going to be enough.
0: Yeah, I don't know how that's going to play out. Can we have Seth Williams be your your Lynn Bowden for twenty twenty? No, oh. absolutely not. I was Don't I was just gonna thing. try and talk to talk you into. Being... You heard
1: it here first. DJ Williams is gonna win the Heisman, as said by Chris No, nah, nah. nope, nope, <laughs> nope. Think, I, I DJ Williams thousand yard season. Heard it here first. Um, yeah, well, duh. Under Gus, I mean, he, under he Chad Morris
0: now. Season. Under Chad Morris, different story. Wait, I didn't even look at his rushing anyway. Let's group SEC quarterbacks. I think when. <laughs> The news hit about this is KJ Joe Screw, essentially, yeah. Um, when <laughs> the news of KJ Cassell going to Mississippi State came out, the Stanford grad cor- grad transfer quarterback that Mike Leach hand plucked to be able to run his offense in twenty twenty, when that news came down, it made me realize, you know what? Ranking SEC quarterbacks, we've tried so far to sort of do it, and it just it just kind of sucks. So yeah, I I thought
1: you've, you've really. Really taken a disliking to this, haven't you? It's it is it's brutal. It, it is absolutely brutal. So
0: I, I figured you know what I'm going to put quarterbacks in groups. I'm going to put them all in boxes. I'm going to do the proverbial thing that we're told not to, instead of ranking them. So I came up with with groups for a variety. Well, for every SEC quarterback. So I'm going to kind of run through these, and I want to I want to get some of your takeaways here. So this is the um, the promising Power Five transfer who I need to see with new surroundings before I go to bat for them. Believe it or not, as specific as that sounds, there's four people yeah, in that huh? group. Four people uh, KJ Castell, Jamie Newman, Sean Robinson, who sat out this past year at Mizzou, the TCU transfer, and Felipe Franks at Arkansas. The we've seen them be good in their current systems but not great yet group is Kyle Trask and Kellen Mond. Also, probably going to get the most love for preseason All SEC. This is the, I took my lumps as a first-year starter, but I'm ready to be the man in year two group. That consists of John Rice Plumley, Bo Nix, Ryan Holinski, and yes, Terry Wilson. I'll explain that in a minute. And then this group is the extremely small but encouraging sample size in a potentially dominant offense. That group, oh. too deep, Mac Jones, Miles Brennan. And the, there are at least three guys who can start in week one group, Tennessee and Vandy. Shout out state of Tennessee for that. So, if you go back to some of these things, like the I took my lumps as a first-year Hold on. starter. What
1: sample size did you get from Miles Brennan?
0: It's very limited in this offense. I think I think what what LSU fans saw last year. 'Cause he he played in relief. I mean, Joe Burrow was out early in a lot of those games. He actually looked good in relief. And he somebody who has gained weight was actually willing to run yeah. with the football, which I think was the most encouraging thing than any single pass that he threw. But I think LSU fans watching Miles Brennan last year, yes, in garbage time as well. And it's different when you are the person and there's more there's more
1: film on you. He had forty attempts. Yeah, not many. Extremely small. Nine samples. rushing nine rushing attempts.
0: Yeah. Runs were actually good though. Runs were actually good. I don't
1: know. He had one touchdown. I don't know if I would put him in the same group as 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 the Mac Jones thing. Yeah, that's that's fair. I would say I would put him in the first group, in my opinion, of of like people that still need to. I, I think he can because he was a four-star recruit. A highly like there's a reason why Miles Brennan is still at LSU, and I think it's because he like the coaches see something in him. And and you know that first year too with with uh with Joe Burrow like. I think Joe, we all expected Joe Burrow to be the guy since he came from Ohio State and and was brought there to be the guy. But I think Miles Burton had, from everything that we could tell, like at least early on in fall camp, he had a, a decent fall camp.
0: He had a decent fall camp, but not a decent enough one to make LSU coaches think that he could be the guy. That's why they went out and yeah. got Joe Burrow. And the 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 weight stuff has been a very popular topic of conversation. And now that that's actually up at the level that it needs to be, there's a, a thinking that. It was last year. I mean, it was throughout 2019, and we could see that in a limited sample size. And I think it was promising. So I, I, I put him in that group recognizing that, yes, he doesn't necessarily have two games against top 25 defenses away from home looking good like Mac Jones did. Yeah. But still, limited sample size. Kind of want to see what both of these quarterbacks look like when there's actually more film on them and defenses can game plan for them. Yeah,
1: that's fair. Um, I, I think the, the promising power five transfer, these are so specific. Um, <laughs> I, I would so I would say we've seen them be good in their current systems, but not great yet. I would move Bo Nix in that um, away from the other hmm. the other group, and I'd probably honestly uh, and, and the other reason why is this because I think starting starting as a freshman in the SEC and I know everything we just said about him. I don't expect him to grow as a passer as much, but starting in the SEC as a true freshman is not not easy. Um, I think even just going up against the ones in in practice. You know, which I'm sure they didn't do every day, but the fact that they, they were able to do it and he had to go against that D line, I think that's probably something where he's going to be a lot more seasoned of a veteran in, in year two. Um, and, you know, it, I think we talk about like their current systems. The one thing about the Chad Morris system, when you look at like what he did at Clemson versus like, I, I don't think that they're going to start necessarily. Airing it out, and there's a reason why Booby Whitlow left. But maybe the reason why is because in those offenses, you know, who the second leading rusher was, and the person who led that team in scoring touchdowns for 2012, 2013, and 2014, boy. In, in rushing touchdowns, it was the quarterback yeah. every single year. Um, and so maybe, maybe that's why. I think, I think uh, in year two, when he has a little bit more faith, when Gus has a little more faith in him, um, I think he could he could maybe flourish. But I don't know. The John Rice plumbing thing, I think, is the most interesting storyline here. Because that's a guy that I, do we do we know what he is as a quarterback? Because he was run first. He's fantastic. Like he, he's he's one of the best athletes in the entire conference, regardless of position. I, is he is is that gonna be what? Is he even gonna start in Lane Kevin's offense? I'm I'm
0: not 100 percent sure that he will. My my guess, if I'm sitting here predicting today, is yes that he is going to be the right. best option because. I think Lane's system has a little bit more wiggle room than, say, a a Mike Leach, where if like Leach's system is, is very, very specific in that if you don't have that accuracy as a quarterback, you just you just simply can't operate Leach's system. You, you're yeah. not going to be successful at all. The, the offense is so pass-heavy and pass-reliant that you're just not going to be able to sort of work your way out and move the ball and sustain drives, and you're not going to find yourself in good place with Leach. Whereas with Kiffin, I think Kiffin is more willing to say, look, if we have somebody who's a little bit more mobile, like, he, he was successful mm-hmm. with Jalen Hurts in his offense. Somebody who is taking a little bit of time to sort of figure it out as a passer and can't necessarily stretch the field at a very high level yet. Kiffin is still willing to design the offense around them. And if he feels that John Rice Plumlee is his best playmaker, which as of what we've seen so so far between he and Matt Corral, yeah, I'm giving, I'm giving him the edge. And I think he is going to give Ole Miss the best chance to win. Things can change, though. I mean, Lane is going to yeah, do what Lane disagree. wants to do Uh
1: oh and I tell you what and people forget this too but that last touchdown drive that in the egg bowl with the famous missed p-a-t that was led by corral was people forget that he kept coming off the bench in that game um I think Terry Wilson lot Terry Wilson thing will be interesting um the stuff with Helensky is he going to turn the corner and be healthy for a full season and and have help around him um I don't I this is something I just literally saw today and, and I'm sorry for being late on it but uh like, did all of South Carolina's coach, assistant coaches leave? Gosh, like, what weird happened there? Weird timing. Um Very weird. Um, our boy Eric Kimry from Hammond might might get a call to the big leagues there mm, uh, and take the job. Funny how that, that works happen. out. Yeah, right. But uh, I, I will say, I think the the stuff with that, I I almost don't want. I don't disagree with like the groupings you have for Tennessee and Vandy because I think um, I think they're spot on. If you say there are at least three guys who could start in Week One. But the Tennessee thing is so interesting to me because everyone's so high on this freshman quarterback. Harrison Bailey, yeah. And yeah, and, and I think with good reason and from everything we saw as a recruit and all the stuff you hear about, because sometimes that kind of that kind of stuff can change from site to site. Like, on, like, you know, who's high on him. This, this has been something I think is pretty universal and consistent among, like, every single site, whether it's rivals or 24-7 or whatever. But if JG, once again, is not the guy and he is given everyone the reason, like, the reason to believe that he's not, do you, do, is it taking a step back by starting a true freshman quarterback in a season year three under Pruitt where you really want to see, like, you know, the, the second half of the season, they want to see that for the full season. You know what I mean? Like, and give Tennessee fans what they've been waiting on because how much more patient is that fan base or even the coaching staff going to be before they, they are turn the, turning the corner with, as Philip Fulmer said, taking a bite out of everybody else, everyone they play, Zayas.
0: Tennessee is back, according to, to Philip Fulmer. Um, who who they're back with uh, in terms of their starting quarterback remains to be seen. I have no idea because I, I can make the argument for for both sides of it. There are, there's a portion of the fan base that's probably thinking to themselves, "Look, we're gonna we finally we finally have this talented offensive line. Our defense we know is going to be good next year." Why not just put out the guy who we think can can manage the game the best and not turn the ball over? And then there's going to be another portion of the fan base that's going to say, well, we're sort of limiting our, our ceiling by doing that. Why not roll out somebody like Harrison Bailey and yeah. see if they are talented? Or Brian Maurer, somebody who showed some promise but obviously dealt with concussion issues down the stretch. That seems a little bit more inviting than running it back with your boy, JG, because... You know, yeah. he's no longer in consideration to be the number three quarterback in the SEC. There are people that might believe he's the number three quarterback at Tennessee. I don't know. Well, nobody has any idea yet, and spring ball might do a lot in determining that.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I will say, I'll go out on a limb here. I know we've already done our quarterback rankings, which are set in stone and can never be never be placed or never be uh, never, redone ever again. again. Um, the guy I think that I'm like I'm coming around most on, and you know, and I know a lot of you are thinking I'm going to say Mac Jones, and and I am. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> is is Kellen Mond. And and people people love to hate on they Kellen Mond really for some do. reason. And it's bizarre to me because it's like, dude, I don't, I don't know what this guy did to y'all. <laughs> but, but he's been – like, you you show me – there's not another quarterback in the SEC. I think Kyle Trask is so underrated for what the season he was able to do or to, to have this past season. Um, but the thing with Kellen Mond, when you talk about a guy that, that's coming off back-to-back seasons where he averaged over 30 touchdowns and 3,400 total yards and – like, on the ground and through the air. And, and he did it with, like, he's going to go in year three of Jimbo. I I think just Jimbo has a proven enough track record to where, like, he's only going to he's only gonna improve. And I would just be shocked. I would be shocked if he stayed the same and didn't have, like, a drastic improvement uh, this upcoming season. Because I tell you what, man, we've talked about it before. From a sheer numbers standpoint, I guarantee you, all, get all this hate about Kellen Mon out now. Get all of it out now. Because when the season starts... They don't have Clemson. They don't have a road game against Clemson coming up. First, They really don't have anyone. Those first 10 games are absolute cake, and he is going to put up monster numbers compared to what he did a season ago.
0: Calamond has, and I'm not saying that he's the best quarterback in the SEC, but he has the most ways to beat you of any quarterback in the SEC. Yeah. I, I think that that's fair. Um, and there are a lot of people who are going to be down on him and saying that he's overrated coming into to every single season. I got a lot of comments like that when I did my initial SEC Man. quarterback rankings, but we'll discuss more of that later on. KJ Costello is, is somebody who intrigues me a lot because I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll say it right now. He's going to lead the SEC in passing. I firmly believe that. Yeah, I mean, I, no I don't doubt. think there's any, any question about that. The volume in that offense is just off the charts ridiculous. But yeah. Um, yeah, the the dynamic now with Garrett Schrader and what happens there had a whole lot of Mississippi State fans in my mentions about that because I threw out the idea like, look, if this kid this kid is a prime example of somebody who should be given the, the ability to to play immediately if he did want to trans if he did want to transfer this year. Now a lot of Mississippi State fans hopped in my mentions and said, look, he's he's going to sit out this year. Costello is going to play because Schrader has the redshirt available and he's going to play three years under Leach. I'm thinking to myself. Leach has already picked somebody else once, and there's no guarantee that Leach is going to pick Schrader next year. All I was saying, and I have no idea if Garrett Schrader is going to transfer or not. Maybe he does stay. I have no idea. But the idea, like, he basically would have the same exact argument that Tate Martell made, and I thought that somebody in his position who actually played as a true freshman would have a really good case. I realized, yes, Mississippi State fans, Michigan State players, after what Mark D'Antonio did to that program— they real. should also be allowed to play immediately elsewhere. Yes, fully, fully yeah.
1: on board with that. I, you know, I'm not going to get into the D'Antonio thing at Did all. Did you call him uh, D'Antonio? D'Antonio? I just said D'Antonio. I don't. I, it's the way I say Ian. Because um, of
0: Mike D'Antonio. D'Antonio. Sure. Whatever. Sure.
1: Um, Mike D'Antonio. He he has. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I, I think I'm just saying D'Antonio. You're Mark. just saying
0: Mike D'Antonio instead of Mark. Mark.
1: What? Who's it? Am I saying Mark? Mark. Is his name Mark. Mark I don't D'Antonio. care. I really don't care. Mark, D- Mark D'Antonio, um, I-, I just, I don't think that what he did, like, I, th- I think everyone has a reason for why they leave stuff, but if you're one of the people that's, like, actually believing that, that, like, if you're this staunchly opposed to the transfer portal and there's a situation like this that pops up and, and you can't see how it's it's frustrating or how you, you can't see how, like, one-sided it is for coaches versus players, it's like, dude... This is why this is one of the reasons why the transfer portal is in place is because you have these coaches that just abuse the system and and Whoa. we have to give concessions to the, yes.
0: What are we talking about abusing the system? There's nothing wrong with taking a 4.3 million dollar bonus and then, you know, signing a crap recruiting class and then quitting your job a few weeks later when you have a lawsuit and saying that you're tired. No, 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 There's not a few weeks wrong later. With the that.
1: day before signing day. Well, a few days after you accepted the bonus. Right. And who is who was it that was like it was it was a it was an SEC player whose brother was recruited by I think it was a Georgia player, um, I can't think of it who it was but it was it was like a it was a, it was a like a household name like like it was a guy that everyone like be familiar with like from like the podcast listeners that basically was saying like this man recruited my brother, told him he was gonna be there and he like he's like and then two weeks later he's gone, like that's just not okay it's not okay. It, it just we, we sit here and we put so much pressure on these kids like the, like the I'll get on a soapbox here the Jordan Birch thing the Jordan Birch thing which which everyone was like I think Cole Cubik said it best and he was like man Cole Cubik brought up the fact that this looks bad on Jordan Birch yeah. not necessarily South Carolina and we're gonna start remembering this these like they they said this flat out like the moment he has a bad game a bad moment does something off the field does something like. Any 17, 18, 19-year-old kid is capable of doing and has done before. Uncle Chris did it all the way into his 20s, okay? But, like, anything like that that happens, you instantly go back and you want to you want to target this kid because of yep. how high-profile a recruit he is. And he becomes – I don't care how this sounds. This is, this. is I forgot who said it on ESPN, but they're, they're perfectly spot on. It's cyberbullying. It goes into this whole cyberbullying thing of these guys and makes them easy targets. And I think that's one reason why people are trying to leave so many places so quickly is because – the moment you don't produce for these rabid fan bases is the moment that you become a bust, or you become overrated, or whatever else. And I, I just, I think, I just think it's so frustrating when, when you have—I don't even remember the point of why we got onto this, but it just, it, it just pisses. Yeah, I was me wondering off. where it this was so mad. Yeah, I just, it, it just, I'm just tired of like the whole. I think recruiting, especially, it's it's, it's such a, a miserable season to be a part of because it's like, man, we we put a lot of expectations on these kids, and then the moment that the like the 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 mark. Dan-tonio. There you go. Dan, I just can't say d- Dan, Dan. Anyway, th- the moment that a guy like that walks away, yeah, we see it in the news for like a day or so, but it doesn't stay with everyone forever. And that guy will, he'll have fields named after him. He'll have, excuse my language, but he'll have all sorts of sh- named after him at Michigan State because of his time there. And the way he left was flat out disgraceful.
0: Jordan Birch should have fields named after him. That was my takeaway from he, that. He, I named my front yard after Jordan Birch. That's... Might be too much, Marler. I named it Williams Birch Stadium. <laughs> Speaking of signing day stuff, um, now that we know what these these quarterback rooms potentially are going to look like, for the most part, stuff still happens. A very fluid process the transfer portal is, but I feel like we should look at which potentially true freshman quarterbacks can start a game this year because I think that there are there are a handful that I would not be surprised to see. On a, on a you know starting for an SEC team this year after a year in which half the SEC rewind that half the SEC <laughs> started a true freshman quarterback Francisco. at least once, which is crazy to think about. So yeah. I have a top five five guys who I think could be starting. Not saying they're going to be the week one starter. Definitely not saying that.
1: All right, guys, listen up. Here's Connor's top five quarterbacks <laughs> in the SEC. Go. This this <laughs> subgroup is the true freshman who could start
0: the SEC. <laughs> Oh uh, number five, I got Max Johnson at LSU just because Danny Etling, not Danny Etling, wow, Miles Brennan, wow. a little bit of an, Damn, son. a little bit of an unknown because of the fact that he's never started before, never, never had this entire season holding up as an SEC starter. Number four, Carson Beck. The uncertainty right now with the Georgia offense and all of these moving pieces. I threw out this and I'm not predicting the future, but With that new offensive line, a new offense, Jamie Newman and the amount of times that he's going to be running the ball, not predicting an injury, not saying that's going to happen,
1: Wow. not predicting
0: that, not predicting that. But that is the path for Carson Beck. That is the scenario in which he would see the field. That's all I'm saying. Ken Seals and Max Wright, who are they? Oh, they're Vandy's new quarterback recruits, of course, as everybody knows. They brought in four quarterbacks, by the way, two kids from JUCO as well, uh, because that's what you do when you lose three of your four quarterbacks. Number two, Harrison Bailey from Tennessee, guy that we just talked about as well, and the mystery at quarterback. In and the
1: top sport. number one quarterback in the whole damn conference. Bryce Young at Alabama. Now,
0: a lot of this is is based on, on opportunity. Yes, skill level is part of it and, and, and whatnot, but I'm not saying Bryce Young is going to be the week one starter per se, but I do think it's fair to say, based on what we've seen in the past from guys like Justin Fields, guys like Trevor Lawrence, uh, Jake Fromm, and Tua, the, these guys who really put so much pressure on the starter. I mean, so, so much pressure to wear that leash is short. And I, I'm not saying yeah. Mac Jones is going to have one bad half and he's going to be out of a job, but Mac Jones is going to know even if he's the week one starter. Look, he's he's going to be there. He's going to be ready. And every single Alabama fan, the second Mac Jones messes up, is going to want Bryce Young to be the guy.
1: Yeah, they already do, which is weird uh, yeah. to me. And, and I, I, this is something that I, I've given – Literally zero thought or paid zero attention to until maybe three weeks ago. No, for real, because because I hate it. I just hate it. And 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 I, t- I tell you what, the example that you're missing from that group about Justin Fields and and Tua and all that kind of stuff is Jalen Hurts because they literally opened with USC right right this season. And I know that that was that was different because you had a, a, a I think I think Barnett was a freshman. Uh, he's I think he still has. A a red shirt right he was a redshirt freshman, maybe.
2: He,
1: yeah, he was a year older than him for sure. But like, um, you know, I I think that the stuff with Bryce Young. I, I, I want to give it zero thought because I just hate Bama fans in general, just the way we they attack everything and social media wise. And, and, and I, I, I mean, I love Bama. We all know that. But like, I, I hate the way like the the Bama fans attack certain kids. And there's, there's a legitimate camp. I wouldn't say they're legitimate or their thoughts are, but there's an actual camp of Bama fans that are like, we're going to be better without Tua. Heard it here. 71st. I, I, I said it. I put it on all the message boards. And you're like, yeah, well, yeah. I tell you what, that's you're a stupid person. So th- there's that. Um, I think with with Bryce Young, what what makes me believe that? Because I, I kind of put those people in the same boat as people that thought Bryce Young was going to start right away, until I started really kind of like paying attention to it and, and the fact that this kid is the national player of the year. The fact that he was in one of the toughest divisions in all of high school football, which is, sounds weird, but it, it, it's a legitimate thing. Shout I don't out Luke Del, Rio. Luke Del Rio about it. Um, the, you know, the numbers he was able to put up in, in that league, I think, are a little bit more impressive than I would give to most, you know, high school quarterback numbers. Um, the fact that he showed out at, you know, Elite 11 camps, the All-American Week, he was the MVP of that game. And, and, then, and then at the end of the season gets vaulted to the number one player in the country on 24-7 and the number two overall player in the country in the composite rankings. He's the highest-ranked recruit to come to Alabama since Julio Jones. And more than any of that, the fact that, that Nick, Nick Saban used a word to describe him that that makes me think that he might start day one, which is weird to me. And that was love. (laughs) He said, I love this kid. And that's just not something you hear from Nick Saban a lot at all. And Like, I'm not trying to be sappy or whatever or dramatic about it. It's just you you tell me the last time besides Tua, right? Like, you tell me the time you've heard Nick Saban refer to one of his quarterbacks this early on, not like an AJ after he's leaving, like, you know, I love that kid. You tell me when you've heard Nick Saban describe somebody like that, and that, that's that's what I don't want to say worries me because that's probably the wrong way to put it, but makes me think that Bryce Young might start. I, I still say I would put the Vandy kid first. Huh, Harrison Bailey could be, yeah. I mean, I, I think that
0: the only thing holding me back is that I think that if Bryce Young were to have to to redshirt. I think that that would upset a lot a lot of people, and I think if he didn't really get a fair chance, because I don't think he's going to be used like Justin Fields. I don't think that's the case no. at all. I think Steve Sarkeesian, that's the last thing on his mind. He's not going to use him as some run specialty yeah. gimmick guy. But, yeah, Harrison Bailey, if the hope is, hey, maybe we start Brian Maurer week one, and we hope that we can just hold on to this redshirt for Harrison Bailey. Yeah. It's a little bit different to do that when you're not as highly rated as somebody like Bryce Young.
1: I will say, I, I, if I had to rank him, one, I wish JG would transfer out and go to Mississippi State and, and live up to the unfair hype that I put on him last year. <laughs> Why would
0: he be able to do that <laughs> but, at Mississippi State? Why would he be able to do that? He
1: wouldn't at all. I'm just, I'm just saying you would be able to put the numbers and I could at least argue for it, uh, even though I'd be wrong <laughs> by arguing. Um, Vandy, I had the Vandy kid at one, or kids, Ken Seals, which Ken Seals, by the way, that that sounds like no 18-year-old. Or, that, that dude is 44 years old. He is neighbor Terry Wilson, but, but that guy, like, yeah, that guy owns his own like laundromat service or something like that, and definitely has a mustache and coaches uh, little league baseball on, on the weekends. Um, Max Wright, I think either one of those kids, either one of those would be like the, the one I would put the highest possibility to start. Harrison Bailey, Bryce Young, Carson Beck, those three after him, I think they're all interchangeable, and I think all three of those guys will play in week one.
0: Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's a good fire take. Yeah. good fire take. We have more fire takes from our buddy Tom Hart. He was gracious enough to join us. A little peel behind the onion here. I was hoping to have Tom on last week, but Tom actually, believe it or not, was really, really busy um, calling every sport that ESPN offers. So he had a couple of things on his plate, but it was great to be able to catch up with him. He talked to us about the XFL debut, some SEC basketball stuff, and um, uh, pretty much anything else you can possibly mention within the confines of a 25-minute interview Tom hit on. So, croutons. Yeah, croutons as well. A lot of thoughts on croutons. Let's kick into our interview with Tom Hart. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our BFF, Tom Hart. Basically, if you watched sports last week, you probably heard Tom. Uh, I remember when we were at the SEC championship game, and... We were talking about the XFL schedule that you had. You basically said to us, you're like, yeah, I sort of didn't dial back my SEC hoop schedule. Um, You need to tell our listeners what the last week was like for you.
2: Oh, well, with all due respect to my friends at the major airline that makes its home in Atlanta, which I typically love, they played a prominent role in my most fun week of 2020. So I had um, a Monday departure for Arkansas. Andy Kennedy and I made waves, and he went viral Tuesday night for the Auburn-Arkansas game when he confused Ron Burgundy for Ron Jeremy. I don't know where his head was, but we can guess. And then um, we had an early morning scheduled flight to make it to Florida for the Georgia-Florida game on Wednesday That meant a 4 a.m. wake-up call. It was followed by a four-hour delay. So we finally made it to Florida in time. And by we, I mean me and Andy, my suitcase didn't. So um, I was able to go cash Lululemon on the air Wednesday night, which is, by the way, a look that I'm currently negotiating in my next contract because I was down with it. And then... Thursday morning was another 4 a.m. wake-up call to get out of Gainesville and get up to Bristol, Connecticut to host College Football Live. Um, I'd like to thank Mother Nature and the mechanics at the still-to-be-unnamed airline, which you all know what it is. 4 a.m. wake-up call, another four-hour delay. I actually missed my taping of College Football Live, but I got a really good nap in, so that's good. Then Friday, uh, I stuck around Bristol for College Football Live. I did some of the talk shows up there. Um, Flight Friday night to Dallas. Four-hour delays are really, really aggressive. So on this particular night, it was only a 90-minute delay. Got to my hotel room about 2 a.m., um, early Saturday morning in Dallas. So we had meetings all day, Saturday, XFL, Sunday, the Battle Hawks at Renegades. If you need to Google that, go for it. And then uh be back on SEC basketball Tuesday night at LSU. And then uh, Wednesday night, and then West Coast flight this coming Friday to go to LA for more XFL. Holy
0: cow. I got tired just listening to that. I mean, that's, you've essentially covered three sports in what, like a four-day stretch there. Um, We know, though, specifically as it relates to the XFL, that you've been doing a ton of prep. And I imagine, though, at the same time, there's only so much you can do before your first experience in something. There are are a lot of elements to this that are are different than your typical football game that you'd be calling on SEC Network on Saturday nights, just with the way the coaches and players are mic'd up at the constant sideline interviews, all that stuff. What did you take away from your first experience doing that?
2: Well the the hardest part that and nobody wants to hear this we're not digging ditches but just for background information the hardest part is efficiently putting together the information on these players because their backgrounds are so varied some guys played in the NFL for 4 or 5 years some guys bounced around the AAF and Canada and Arena and Arena 2 even and so just compiling all of that information the SID's and the SCC are awesome at what they do and they have the benefit of decades of record-keeping and storylines and personnel. All of that is brand new to the folks in the XFL. So that's just a uh, time-consuming process to get the information on individual players that you think is going to be interesting to the viewing audience. What was, um, what was a whole different level of preparation, and kudos to the coaches at both teams this uh, first weekend, and listen, How Mummy Has No Secrets. If you want to learn how to run the air raid, you can buy the book online for twenty four ninety nine with a VHS and probably a T-shirt, too. Um, <laughs> and Bob Stoops was great, and the St. Louis guys were great, too. But it, it was about, like listen, we're going to eavesdrop on your play calls. Can you give us an idea of what these play calls are going to mean? Or at least let's go through some of your basic calls so when we hear them repetitively, we can reference them we can translate them for the viewing audience. So that's something, like, for example, we've tried to ask. I've tried to ask SEC guys in the past. Um, you know, when Jake Fromm was, would talk about the complexities of the offense and the play calling, it'd be like, well, hey, man, give me a, give me a random play call. And he'd go through a, a nine-word call, and not like we would ever know when that play was coming during the course of a game. In these scenarios, we hear them, we know they're coming, we know Iowa means inside zone for St. Louis, and so now we know we're watching for a handoff and they're going to run some inside zone. So that was really cool, but a whole different level um, of focus when it came to the preparation.
1: All right, my turn. Hello, Thomas. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Hello. <laughs>
1: um, okay, so kind of piggybacking off that, there's, a, there's obviously a lot of differences between what many would consider, I think, quote-unquote, like, traditional football in the XFL. What so far has been your favorite difference, and why is it the gambling lines being broadcast?
2: Um, my favorite difference... Well, I think my favorite difference is going to be the kickoff rule. We didn't see um, any big returns this weekend, small sample size, only four games. But to give you an example, there were 35 XFL kickoffs week one, there were only six touchbacks and peeling back the curtain, at least one of those, uh, I think it was two touchbacks we had in our game because Oliver Luck changed the kickoff line right before kickoff, which is fascinating, but he's the commissioner he's allowed to do. And they have that built into the rules. It's not like he just showed up at the stadium and was like, Hey, you know what? I think we're going to move the kickoff line. But if there is any sort of extreme wind, they want as many returns as possible. They don't want touchbacks. So they're going to, you know, they can move the line from the 30 to the 35 or vice versa, depending on what we'll get the most. Okay, so we had six on 35, six touchbacks and 35 kickoffs, um, as opposed to the NFL this last year, um, I think 60%. Um, let me see, i got the numbers in front of me. Last year in the NFL, there are 2,603 kickoffs. There are 1,585 touchbacks. So 61% of the time on an NFL kickoff, there is nothing happening. And you only have 0.2% chance of a return. Um, I'm probably going a score 0.2%. So 61%, the ball is in the air. We've come back from commercial. We're waiting for him to get lined up. We show the kicker. We show the return guy. And then nothing happens. So that I think is going to be my favorite because there's going to be action on all of that.
0: I didn't realize that. That was a lot of numbers for us, Tom. A little, couple, couple too many numbers. That's that's a lot of math. Here's for us, here's one so
2: number. Right. Eight six seven. If you no, if you consider the five309 oh, that's my number, Jenny. Don't lose it. Like that's just another number to throw out there. It's actually seven Connor, digits, He's just saying things.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a song from the, from the eighties. I, I could I think, be wrong. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard rumors of that. So I've
0: got, I've got a theory that I need to run past you. Um, when they came up with the matchups for the opener, the XFL powers that be said, "Oh, we need to make sure that Tom Hart is calling whatever game that Jordan Tomu is in because he's the only one with with uh, with actual experience pronouncing his last name." Confirm or deny my theory.
2: You know, Oliver Luck has a lot of power in this league. Uh, as does his body. That's, a, con- that's a confirmation. Yes, yeah. They wanted, they wanted me calling a game with two Egg Bowl quarterbacks in the same team to see if we could get yep. a reference to a fake dog feed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Um, Tom, I mean, in our brief limited time as being internet friends, you know that I'm not great at decisions. Um, what XFL team should I adopt as my favorite team and why?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Um, You know, I'm kind of a fan of the New York Guardians, and and I know it's not necessarily in your backyard, but Matt McGloin um, scored the first touchdown in Guardians history, and he chucked the ball into the stands. And I'm Mm -hmm. thinking to myself, that's a quarterback that just doesn't care. You know, like he's not worried about saving this ball for – posterity's sake or taking home a keepsake. No, 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 no. no! I'm going to sling it to the dude who's, you know, sitting in the 20th row here at MetLife. I thought Love that it. was really cool. I don't know if you saw the postgame celebration in the St. Louis locker room, but like oh, yeah. seltzer is the official drink of the XFL, apparently. Yeah. So the, the, the temerity with which the St. Louis players were willing to slam a carbonated beverage I, that was eye opening to me. I think there's some potential there.
1: I, I've been I a Boston Battlehawks fan for most of my life. I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you. I'll just say it.
0: Yeah, I mean, a team that shotguns seltzer, I think, is is pretty much that that they they made fans out of a lot of very neutral observers over the weekend. I think we can say that with with certainty. Speaking of alcohol, you go from <laughs> having Cole Kubilick as your sideline reporter to Pat McAfee. Um, I imagine that's like going from drinking a Guinness to drinking a four loco.
2: It's a great comparison. And actually Thank neither you. guy drinks. Can you believe that? Very, no. very odd. Yeah. Just, just there's your nugget of the day. Um, Pat has this incredible bundle of energy. He is amazing. He's talking to Bob Stoops about his quarterback being an underwear model. He's uh, nearly got Troy Aikman killed on the sideline when a play came their way. Um, I, don't, I'm, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the radio show, Bob and Tom. Oh yeah. In India. Yeah. BW, beer run. So I see Bob Stoops at practice and I'm talking to him and he, he's looking around. He's like, Oh, you with Joey. Where's, Hey, where's Pat? I used to do a radio show with Pat every Tuesday when he was with the Colts. And, Bob Stoops used to go on Pat McAfee on Bob and Tom like once a week, which was amazing to me. Um, I just found that whole aspect fascinating. Um, I saw that you –
0: I love that you're still actively campaigning for mayoral votes in Kentucky by bringing up BBN pretty much whenever you get the chance on an XFL broadcast. Like they had uh, the Kentucky former Kentucky kicker I saw was in that game. Um, How would you say that you're polling in the state of Kentucky right now?
2: Oh, uh, we don't need a caucus for this. Like, if if we had a caucus, everybody <laughs> would be in my corner of the Language. gym. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would dominate any caucus or primary, and I would I would slam the election. I mean, I, I met Austin McGinnis at their practice on Friday, and the first thing that came up was his podcast that he does during the college football season. And I said, listen, this is, this, we're going to find a way to get this on air. And by find a way, it doesn't mean that there's going to be some sort of nuanced reference to it that only he and his buddies would get. Now, this is going to be a, this, a straight shout out prior to a field goal opportunity. And I, I have no shame. I'm willing to do that. You are the the guy who you. By
0: the way, you definitely had another sixty nine call. Um, I think that was like a week and a half ago. I, I can't remember what it was during an SEC basketball game, but I was like,
2: "That was the Ron Jeremy game." Yeah, that was. Oh, the Ron Ron Jersey, that's right. Game. That's what, yeah, shocking. And so <laughs> it was tied at sixty nine all at the end of regulation. It was, and as I said, we're tied at sixty nine. Nice, Andy Kennedy goes. It all comes full circle, doesn't it? Beautiful.
0: everyone is trying to figure out right now kind of what what exactly it's going to take for the XFL to succeed in your opinion having kind of seen the inner workings of this whole deal what's going to determine the future of this league
2: I'm obviously biased this is you know I know more about the television side of things than do the football operations or the local marketing or anything like that although uh, from all indications it's going very well. But I just, I think TV coverage is everything. Um, you've got two major media companies. The games aren't being relegated to a streaming platform. They're not way up in your cable channels where you have to go find them. I would venture to guess, um, if you walked into any sports bar this weekend, the XFL games were on, not necessarily because people were demanding them, but because those are the channels, ESPN, ABC, Fox, FS1. Those are the channels that are already on in sports bars. Those are the channels if you're guys like me and you that are already on in our house. Um, those are the channels that are on, you know, in in offices that have televisions throughout the country. So to gather the casual sports fan in the time of year where there's a vacancy there, and and you know I'm a huge college basketball fan and I, I wanted to succeed, but. I do think that that can be very niche until we get to the tournament. Um, there's, there's an appetite out there. and The whole reason Vince McMahon decided to invest billions into this league is because the market research said, listen, there's 80 million pro football fans out there in this country, and 40 million of them are diehards, and they said that they would watch a spring league. Now, whether or not that occurs and they stick with it through the end remains to be seen, but I've been really impressed with the, you know, the media attention throughout this weekend. And I know that there was a lot of ignorance out there, too, as to when this league was actually starting. You know, People weren't aware until they saw it on their TV, I think a good portion of the population. So that should mean a lot going forward. And I think that's, that's going to be the key. Will, will people relate to this league? Um, will th- they're going to be given opportunities, to because the league will get the exposure that's necessary. Switching gears a little bit, without
0: anything related to Ron Jeremy, give us your uh, give us your hottest SEC hoops take right now.
2: Uh, my hottest SEC hoops take. I've got a couple for you. Um, I think Mississippi State is a Final Four caliber team. Ooh. That's a hot take because, a from a record standpoint, you say to, Tom. What did, did you take all of? Cole and Pat's beers this weekend and just take them for <laughs> yourself because Mississippi State is 15-8. and eight. Um, They lost to an average, if not bad, Oklahoma team. They lost to Louisiana Tech. They lost to New Mexico State. Um, but they've got all the pieces. I mean, they're as, as balanced as a team with Reggie Perry and Tyson Carter and Nick Weatherspoon and Robert Woodard. Um, they've got talent on that team, and they've got different ways to score They're top 20 offensive team when it comes to efficiency um they play a pretty slow tempo um they value possessions they offensive rebound when they do miss shots um i just think they have a real opportunity there um and and they'll have opportunities in their schedule coming up over the back half of the season
1: all right, that's pretty much all I have for serious questions. Uh, let's get to the real nitty-gritty stuff here. Wait wait, I, those I, were I, ser- Girl- I was supposed to be serious for those? The whole time, Tom. We've been <laughs> over this. We, every time. Uh, um, so I, I bought Girl I Scout apologize. cookies. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I bought Girl Scout cookies from your fam. And um, I need to know, right now, what's the best Girl Scout cookie and why?
2: Fin Mint, without a doubt, and here's why. Thin mints can be enjoyed by all ages, right? When I was younger, I would enjoy Thin Mint, and the rare opportunity that um, my family would purchase Girl Scout cookies, because let's be honest, they cost like $29 a box. Um, thin mints were the only cookie of its kind. Somehow they, they let it slip, and now Oreos have a thin whatever. It's not the same. Um, but I could devour an entire sleep with a glass of milk. Now that I'm an adult at the end of the night, maybe after a nice meal, I'm sitting down watching games late at night. I can devour an entire sleeve of Finments with a nice glass of wine. So it goes either Ooh. way. You get the chocolate and the crisp. They're good in the freezer, they're good out of the freezer. Nothing else comes close. I will say.
1: Um... The fact that you can buy Girl Scout cookies online now is is like that's such an incredible tool, but also a detriment to me trying to lose weight for this wedding because um, I had no idea you could do that. It's so convenient now.
2: It, I, you bring up a great point, and it brings up another question. I, I, I'm not really familiar with guys trying to lose weight for their wedding, although I'm sure you'll look beautiful in the dress.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right, next question here. We have a lot of listeners out here, Tom, that need your help, and I can tell already when you're throwing out just casual dining expertise like Thin Mints and wine, you you are a a savant when it comes to this topic. we got a lot of guys out here looking for last-minute Valentine's Day advice. Give us your best Valentine's Day advice, wrong answers only. Oh, wrong
2: answers only. This is great. Um... First of all, as a guy, you need to understand that the marketing push in this country that invented holidays like Mother's Day and Valentine's Day and anything else, they invented this for you, okay? not for anybody else. So just understand that Valentine's Day is for the guy. It's the perfect night to say to your special someone, I'm going to get out of the house and go watch a game with the fellas. (laughs) It's a no-brainer. I'm going to give you your space, we're going to go to Hooters, I'm going to drink like four pitchers of beer, and you don't Love have it. to worry about me until midnight or one or two, or whatever. You just tell me when you want me to be home. That's that's my best Valentine's Day advice. Just understand that the promotional machine in this country, they invented this for you.
1: Yes, yeah, that's true. Oh, you know, the only thing you're missing from that is um, obviously buying heart-shaped jewelry as a gift. And, uh, and, you know, and then also telling your significant other th- to smile more. Because that's something I know I can speak Ooh. from, uh, From you know, pr- women love it. So let's get you out of here with, uh, God, just an- another profound conversation. I feel like I say that every time we uh, we get together here on the SDS pod. But we're going to get you out of here on Two Minute Drill. It's a rapid fire uh, question game where you just say the first thing that pops in your head, which you're the perfect person to play this with. Um, usually we only have ten questions, but... Uh, My fiance, Allie, wanted to add a a couple more. And plus, since you're so great at thinking uh, on your feet, we we threw in 13 total. So are you you ready to go? Are you geared up in the Lululemon? Are you ready for game time?
2: Yeah, yeah. I have nothing going on this entire afternoon, so I'd love to spend it with you guys. Let's go. Okay.
1: (laughs) All right. First question. What's your favorite Celine Dion song? I don't have one. That's unbelievable. Second question. That's a lot of points to take it off. Worst city to be arrested in?
2: Matamoros, Mexico.
1: Okay. All right. So that was a lot of confidence. Uh, The NFL Combine is coming up. If someone were to describe you using only Combine cliches, what
2: would it be? (laughs) Uh, Combine cliches. Um, Stiff in the hips. um, Receding. And um, <laughs> and and uh lives for the game.
1: Okay. Yeah, heard oh, that sister. Stiff of the hips, that's good. Uh if you could make a new four loco flavor yourself, what would it be? Mint. Okay, I like that. It's awesome. Um it's it's an election year, so what is Tom Hart's twenty twenty campaign slogan? <laughs>
2: Um well I'm trying to decide on a running mate and it, I've got it I'm boiling down I'm only going to accept Ron so it could be Burgundy <laughs> it could be Jeremy it could be Artest um we haven't decided Ooh. yet there's a lot there's a lot of different categories here uh I don't know which of my bosses are going to listen to this so I'm going to I'm going to go with my second best <laughs> my second best campaign <laughs> slogan um because <laughs> I can't say the one that I really want to say. Um, okay. It, it, you got to have heart. That's good. Mm, yeah. That's
1: good. I, I can't wait to hear off air the, uh, the other one, um, number one. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's say that the good people at Delta fly you to a dream va- uh, vacation spot. Where are you headed?
2: Oh, I love Delta Airlines. They are absolutely my favorite. <laughs> They've been so helpful. They even found my luggage for me this week, which was super nice of them. That's Um, nice. We're going to fly from Atlanta to Columbus, Georgia.
1: Oh, beautiful. i tell you what, go there in July. There are few places as beautiful as Columbus, Georgia in July. Um, Favorite Atlanta restaurant? Go.
2: Uh, Jersey Mike's. They can make (laughs) a sandwich and... You can put whatever you want on that sandwich. I, I like a Mike's way without the tomatoes. And um, if I'm really feeling, you know, if it's a cold weather football weekend and now at the XFL, we have 10 more of those, then I, I might get a, a hot one. It might go chicken filling. Ooh. We're looking literally for anything can. anything besides Blimpy. That's all
1: we were looking for there. So that's that, that <laughs> place. Um, <laughs> best off-season binge-watching recommendation.
2: Best off-season binge-watching recommendation. Um I don't have an off-season. So it's really hard that's for very me to point. answer. But um Sick. I would go with Ozark. And I'm Ooh, trying to get back okay. into it. I Was late. I was all in season 1 and season 2. And then barely got into season three, but I'm. Wait, I'll there's a season three? Is there not? Is there only two so far?
1: I think I think they're I think they were only making season three. Season one was fantastic. Season two was tough. Season, I mean that was that was a tough one. Um, okay, hold on. We got we got, we got four more here. We'll go through them quick. Go to Starbucks order since you never sleep.
2: Grande skinny vanilla latte.
1: That is also okay. That's that's good. He said it with conviction there. This is from Allie. What are your feelings about croutons? That's a real question.
2: Croutons or coupons?
1: Uh, You know, either or, but we go with croutons for the sake.
2: Well, if I had coupons for croutons, I would have a pantry full of stale bread. I am a fan of croutons. I believe in them wholeheartedly. The the, the taste of a great salad can be complemented by only a couple of things. Number one, the crispness and the color of the lettuce. The darker the better. And a quality, quality, stale bread chip. That's beautiful. God, that's poetry. Absolutely. That we'll awesome. I mean, this is
1: the last question then, because I don't even know how you top that. Um, best wedding advice you can give, wrong answers only.
2: Best wedding advice you can give. Um just make sure that everybody understands that as the husband, as the, as the groom, this is your night. It's special for you. Um, you're going to remember everything about this night, including how the guests feel. So just make it all about you and the guests. And if they need something additional, like especially post ceremony, go, go do it for them. Like, there's nothing that can make your wedding better than to make sure that the mother-in-law is perfectly happy. That's all that matters.
1: I love it. Let me add this up. Um, oh, man. We got a new high score here, Connor. That is 690 points. Wow. Oh, real nice. Well, I'm you, waiting for it. I see it.
2: what you did there. I see what you did there. See where well, you we put set the you up perfectly.
1: To. Yeah.
0: 69.0. Oh, um, that's okay. That's okay. Um, Tom, appreciate it as always. Um, I, I don't know what else to say about your, your life right now other than get as much sleep as possible. Yeah. Um, tall vanilla lattes galore and, um, maybe, maybe mix in a couple four locos every once in a while. Steal, steal them from McAfee and, and Cole. And I think you'll, uh, you'll be able to get through this, this grind of a schedule you're working with right now.
2: Next time we're together, Whether that is be a podcast and telephone or in person, I want to spend some time discussing with you, gentlemen, um, the intricacies and the value of a weighted blanket because those are key. Those are key for nap time these days. Love it, man! That's can't wait. Wow! All right, well, we will we will
0: do that very very soon. Tom, appreciate it. Best of luck with everything XFL, SEC hoops,
2: and any other random sport you want to call. Thanks, gentlemen. I'll see you for the Tiddlywinks Regional Championships on ESPN 12. <laughs> Let's Goodbye, go. Thomas. <laughs> Thanks.
0: See you, man. So, Marler, fun little story for you. Last week, I am realizing at, I am at the end of my last bottle of Texas Pete. I'm getting close. It's going to be borderline if I can make it another week the way I like to usually do shopping. I yeah. like to be able to get it all kind of at once, not make a bunch of midweek trips, whatnot. I made sure that I bought that bottle of Texas Pete ahead of time because the idea of having an empty bottle of Texas Pete and no replacement terrified me. And my wife criticized me for it, but I was like, you know what? Better safe than sorry. Just make sure we got that Texas Pete in the pantry and we're good to go.
1: Yeah. i tell you what, guys. Valentine's Day is coming up, Mm. and I know you guys have heard me talk about just how just the overwhelming amount of, uh, I guess... um, association i put it, with my love for texas pete and you know you can love a lot of things and loving a hot sauce is is one of those things that i don't think should be frowned upon this day and age 2020 okay we're not gonna get into it too much but yeah i love texas pete if i wasn't marrying ally i'd probably marry that bottle of texas pete this valentine's day season get your wife or significant other the gift that really matters and that is not heart-shaped jewelry which women love Uh, -hmm. it is a bouquet of of Texas Pete, just an absolute, you know, I'm not saying you have to get 12 roses because that is expensive and outrageous. And you know what? Those die. You know, what doesn't die flavor. So get yourself a couple bottles of Texas Pete, put them in a little bouquet of whatever. And what's your wife going to say when she pulls out like, Oh, a mini bottle, like a little, like you can have like, you know, like airplane bottles, but without liquor, obviously, which is with flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, you have the big bottle of the wing sauce, which is, I cannot recommend enough. Throw in some Texas Pete dust for a little late night, guys. That's all I'm going to say. There you go. Texas Pete, make sure you are sending us all of your favorite recipes that you are using. Maybe you're making dinner for your wife this uh, this Valentine's Day or your husband or whatever else. Um, make sure you are using Texas Pete to add some flavor, not only to the Valentine's Day or your food, but to your love life as well.
0: To all aspects of life.
1: Add some flavor. Yeah. Um, let's add some flavor to this podcast, uh, which is going mean fourth and wrong guys we've got a very special um edition of fourth and wrong because we had a family member oh yeah intro uh, that's that's gonna be the first question of how we're gonna intro fourth and wrong and she um connor's aunt has the first question uh of fourth and wrong i'll let you take it away
0: so my aunt megan uh shout out megan megan burn kruger i think is she is uh, known on facebook she's the youngest of my mom's 11 siblings so not the aunt that had the conception story or anything like that. Thank Definitely God. different, different aunt. Yeah, we would
1: not have would not put her in the fourth and
0: wrong. We would not have done that. And not the aunt who also had the separate comments about um, just loving the Facebook group and being a part of it and wanting to be active in it, despite the fact that yeah. she knows nothing about SEC football. This is actually a different aunt, if you can believe it. I have a lot of aunts. Um, so my Aunt Megan threw out the question in fourth and wrong um, and basically said, Best Big Ten basketball moment this weekend, dot, dot, dot. The return of Coach Knight. Now, my aunt is an Indiana grad like like me, um, and she threw this idea out there, and Marler responded... Right up our alley. And I thought Marley was being a little bit on the salty side, a little bit a little bit sarcastic that he was throwing. Wait, what did I do? I thought you were being a little bit sarcastic when you said right up our alley in response to that question. Oh,
1: no, I was just blatantly saying that's not right up our alley. Yeah, I guess I was sarcastic because we don't do basketball stuff from the Big Ten at all. But, yeah, it was my bad.
0: Okay, so... Yeah, I can answer that question for you. Um, There you go. I had a lot of mixed emotions watching Bob Knight come back because he was not there while I was there. I was a student. I graduated in 2012. Bob Knight, you know, his last days at IU were back in the early 2000s, so I, I was not a part of that, but I did sort of you know have the minority of the opinion the minority opinion watching this moment where Bob Knight finally returns to assembly hall for the first time since he was fired yeah. 20 years ago and everybody's just giving him this overwhelming ovation crying uh, yeah i mean there Save are people Seal. yeah it, it was it was much it was ve- it was much Dickie v in the house all that stuff and people are just doing whatever they like just oh my gosh just what a moment incredible so so glad we could see this this forgiveness Bob Knight never apologized for the and fact that, that he basically bashed university and dished university for 20 years because yeah. he was mad that he was fired because... They, they fired him because after he choked a kid, he violated the zero-tolerance policy by grabbing another kid on campus. And Bob Knight was frustrated. That's just what
1: we know it was reported. Yeah,
0: exactly. Bob Knight was frustrated that Indiana would ever fire him because he thought he was above the law and he thought he was God, which you could make the argument in the state of Indiana he was for a very long period of yeah. time when he won that many national titles. But the fact that he, came, he spent 20 years just ripping IU and said he hoped that everybody who fired him would die. Like literally, that's what he said on the damn show. He Hatter said that show.
1: out. Like that was an actual quote. Like
0: real quote. Actually said this. And then he comes back to Indiana and in this shape where it looks like he's. I'm not going to predict anything, but that it looked, looked yeah, like a terrible. It looked like a last go around. It looked like that's I think
1: that's why they brought him on. Yeah,
0: and it looks like he's he's near the end. Uh, he looked way different than he did when he was on the air with ESPN five years ago, and never heard him come back and say, you know what? I was wrong. I shouldn't have banished the university for 20 years. And, and created this this into, like this massive divide when I was just being, you know, prideful and I my ego was too big. I didn't I wasn't crazy about it to be, to be that's my long way yeah. of saying that. I, I did not necessarily like the fact that Indiana fans were just like, oh my gosh, unbelievable. I, I'm so happy that Bob Knight is back and what a great guy and this is so awesome to see. Apologize first and then maybe we'll talk.
1: Yeah, you know, f first of I do wanna to say to I thought it was Meg, not Meeg. Megan, yeah, um, Meeg, Megan. Um, w- one, I loved her story that she shared. I thought that was really cool that she got to interview him for the student newspaper, which was like that's a thing, like way back. In just the, day in the day, short, the, the very little, everything I know about Bob Knight, like in depth wise, I've I learned from that documentary and that I've heard from Connor, and and it's it's one of these things where, you know, I said I said this after the Kobe thing, which is this I said this on Twitter about how like people have a tendency when times like this. Where they they had a a mis they misconstrue the situation. Where it's like, hey, reach out to somebody you haven't talked to in a while and let them know you love them. And I think that's all well and good, but you do that for people that aren't toxic people in your life. And and I think what what Bob what Bob Knight did at Indiana, he, there were so many parts of it that were toxic. And what bothers me more than anything is the apology, because it's like, dude, I do th- I did everything I saw makes me believe he's on he's near the last last yeah you know stretch of his life and and that's sad because he, I think he's a, a coaching legend and he's a, and he's a college sports legend but the fact that he's still so prideful and that was what like kind of that's what his whole downfall was was being so prideful and it's sad to watch but it's like let's call it what it is man like you don't get to go treat people like this you just don't and and I don't want to pile on Meeg's uh her the person she gets to interview at all but I just think that if you couldn't if you couldn't be um remorseful then then I don't it, it bothers me that you you still can't do it now 20 years later after you were fired and, and like you said these are the things that he actually said about like I hope they die yeah. I won't speak to them until Who they do that die. and it's like like Jesus Christ man that's like, so much and, and what bothers me more than anything about this is him saying all of that the university has still gone out of its way to try to include him in yeah stuff. absolutely and, and they try to do stuff where they brought him in to where it's like 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 what this really bothers me for and what was the reason he was there what were they honoring? This is a Purdue
0: team. They were honoring the 1980 national championship uh, team with Isaiah Thomas on it. That was actually the team right. that my aunt was there and she covered that right. team while she was yeah at school.
1: Okay, and so what bothers me about this is the last time they tried to do this, and from what I what I remember, that 1976 team, which is one of the greatest basketball teams in college basketball history, he wasn't and didn't want to be yep. a part of them being recognized, and that's what pisses me off because it's like, dude, you know, I, I can't foresee Saban. Ever being this much of an a hole? I don't think there's a um, football is, comp to it. I, there's I really not. Don't. It's kind of weird. It would have been like Bo Shembecker maybe, not Schimbeckler. Woody, Woody Hayes, Hayes. Woody Hayes maybe. Yeah.
0: Um, it it would have sort of. Big Ten. It would have sort of been like if Joe Paterno had lived another twenty years and seeing what that relationship would have been like. But at Penn the, State. Paterno
1: also had, went out of his way to be like, oh, "You guys, this wasn't my fault. This was the university's fault," and you and then was blaming them and then outward being like just openly because some of these stories were gross. Like the thing, the bathroom thing where he literally wiped his, you know what, and then brought out like a piece of toilet paper it was like, this is what you are. It's like, dude, like I, I had, I had a, a, a coach from the North when I would play baseball in college, who was, he was rough around the edges and said things that I had never heard up in my entire life until, until he was my coach. And it made me a better player. This was not that. No. This was stuff that was just on the edge of human indecency.
0: Bob Knight was a different breed of human. We can say that, and it was, yeah, very, very mixed emotions watching all of this play out. Um, as an Indiana grad, watching this and watching the way that people just sort of celebrate him yeah. and forget the fact that this is somebody who was just not the best human being. Let's just, let's
1: just, he would up. never be invited onto the friendly confines of Williams Birch <laughs> Stadium at my house. Let's move on. Let's move on to something even more serious. Uh, Second question from Sean O'Brien. Do you judge people on whether they use Apple or Android, whether it's on purpose or inadvertently?
0: On purpose. Is that bad? Um, If somebody tells me that they use an Android, it's almost always because they have some sort of anti-Apple stance and they need yeah, to let you know weird. about it eventually. Yeah. then it turns into a weird conversation <laughs> that I don't want to have because you're I'm not one of those vegan. people. Cool, dude. Yeah, like I have a Mac, I have an iPhone, but I'm not somebody who's like, you know, wearing an Apple t-shirt or something like that. Like right. I don't care enough to know about your stance why you don't use Apple. So the fact that you're using an Android and then telling me about it is what annoys me more than anything. So yes, I do judge yeah. a little
1: bit. Um, I actually wrote a joke about this one time when I was like, <laughs> like 2014, 2015, and it was not suitable for... Uh, work obviously but it was just basically saying how uh, like yeah like there's a lot of things that I will make excuses for for dating a girl but if if I send her a text and those little bubbles pop up or they don't pop up and then they, they I get I get green text back like yeah we're done I'm sorry like I just can't like I mean come on grow up um I will say I used to I used to make that joke and then my, my best friend Jeff flat out told me he was like He's like, well, you're stupid, and uh, most people that have those that like the reason why is because on Androids, it's a lot easier to um, like modify and make your own and do all these other different cool things that people. It's like, so, but I feel like there's a different there's a different group of people that have an Android because they use it and they modified it to like stuff they can do with their own phone, versus because he works in tech, so a lot of the guys that he works with like they all have the green the green text. That pops up because they're smarter than me, but the people that do it just because they have some like yeah thinly veiled dumbass response about like why they don't like Apple like yeah I don't have time for that I don't have time got too for much that. going life's on life's too short yeah. man I don't care I gotta watch Cheer on Netflix again <laughs> I, we can't have this conversation uh, shout out Cameron Camp who's somebody uh, who's one of our pod mods who definitely has like, a <laughs> definitely has an Android love him to death though um, third question this is good this is from Reed Kosan. There are approximately 200 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. There are approximately 20 billion Earth-like planets orbiting those stars. Do you think there is life on other planets?
0: Not in its current form. Not, not in a way that we would be able to understand in a traditional sense. But life on other planets? Yeah, I'm on board with that. How could there not be? Such a There's... big, big galaxy. How could there not be other life? And I know that we've put a lot of money into being able to find that other life. Some of what, some, of, a lot of which has been unsuccessful. Yeah. But I mean, I tend to think that we're not just the first people who have sort of figured it out down here.
1: Yeah. Right. No, there's definitely aliens. Like a thousand percent. I don't care how that sounds. People get upset, all you want. Uh, and I'll tell you this right now. I learned this last night. I've been, um, I help out with this charity this this around this time every year for neurofibromatosis uh, called uh, Cupid's Charity, the Cupid Undie Run. And um, shout out to them. There's uh, this Saturday. If you're in Atlanta this Saturday, sign up for Cupid Undy Run. You can use Marler Free as a uh, as your promo code um, and get a discount on it. And basically, it's just like a, it's a 0.8 mile run and then a four hour party. It's a lot of fun. But the reason I bring that up is because the week of the event, they always kick it off by doing this fundraiser for trivia, which I hosted last night. And I learned this, Connor. Aliens you know are there. that Oh, never mind. Aliens yeah. were a thousand percent there. Um, in 2024, NASA. <laughs> is trying to put together through this, I think it was like the Artemis program or or something for 2024. They're trying to set a goal for themselves to, you know what? Do you know what they're trying to do? Find other life? Land on the moon. So for all of you out there that told me I was stupid for saying that we didn't land on the moon, you tell me why, I don't know, 55 years later, we're all of a sudden trying to go land on the moon. Huh? You don't go back and do stuff you've already done. You don't watch Ozark 1 again. No, you watch Ozark 2 you, and you move on, You literally just guys.
0: said five minutes ago you're going to watch Cheer again.
1: Yeah, well, that's a good point. But regardless, you don't, like, yeah, and I watch Office retakes all the time. That wasn't my best example. But regardless, there's no way we land on the moon yet. I think there's definitely aliens, and I think that we haven't landed on the moon. Whoa. Moving on. We definitely lost at least one listener from Arkansas. Yep. Um, best tips for long international flights in economy. That comes from Jesse Folly
0: couple things. Seat selection Don't is do very, very important. I had a middle seat home from Dubai. Oh yeah, that's a 16-hour flight. It was rough. It was really, really rough. And I was just doing podcasts and stuff, like listening to podcasts. I listened to, I think, the second season of Serial, which was one of the more disappointing things I've ever experienced in my life. Um, shout out to anybody who's listened to that and knows exactly what I'm talking about why does the second season of everything always suck Friday Night Lights um, Cereal, that thing that you mentioned before Second se- Ozark
1: cheer, Ozark
0: oh, second season, always. Um, last chance you
1: se- dude, what's the what's the thing from Parks and Rec, everyone everyone that's ever told me about Parks and Rec, they're like, you gotta make it through the first two seasons, like, you know what, most TV shows don't make it through the first two seasons if they suck like, don't tell me I gotta wait around for that
0: have you never watched Parks and Rec?
1: No, I've, I've watched it, but I haven't <sighs> watched it like like The Office because it's like, you can't tell me that two full seasons to start the show suck. It's And then like, oh, you just wait and then get into it after that. Like, I'm going to go watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine.
0: They're, oh, they're all under the same umbrella. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is yeah. the next one that I need to be able to binge watch. What was the question again? Oh, yeah, best tips for long international flights In economy. Um, I would say for a long international flight, it is worth it is worth it to get on the nicer airline. I think yeah. Um, we flew Emirates home, and we were just you know a couple of mid twenty somethings going on yeah. on our honeymoon. But it was it was worth it. Just from the seat comfortability standpoint, was top notch, and you actually you know get decent meals and whatnot. But um, I would say seat location is the number one most important thing. Have a plan. Just make sure that you you have a plan. Try and Wing make sure it. going in that you have every single hour accounted for. Like if you have a 13-hour flight, make sure you got 15 hours worth of entertainment, whether that's movies or podcasts or DVD, like what, whatever it is, make sure that you, in every scenario, you're like, I'm not going to run out here. I'm not going to have like a two-hour window where I just have nothing going on and nothing to do because that's when you go crazy.
1: Yeah, I so I, I, I'm like genuinely looking forward to, um, uh, I love long flights. Yeah, you said that last week too. Right, you're a psycho. I I do. I will take I will take my focus medicine and I will sit down and pump out work for literally however long the flight is and I and it's just it's like it's like th- there's no distractions they can't because there, there, there can't be any distractions so it's like perfect for me I love getting in work mode on long flights I will say um, I, I'm trying like so I don't know how to say this without sounding like pretentious and like you guys know me well enough to know that I'm white trash but my fiance isn't and we're talking about planning like a our honeymoon we're talking about going to Bali a couple other places basically we're going to go to wherever we can also afford first class tickets because mm. if sitting in the sitting coach in, in a middle seat, especially there's just, I, I couldn't do it for that long. I'm too big. I'm too sweaty. I'm, I get too claustrophobic. I will freak the F out. So I, you, like
0: your answer to this question, best tips for long international flights and economy is simply don't do it. <laughs> Get richer.
1: Yeah, this, uh, for real. Yeah, get rich or or, or fly trying. You're really That's proud good. of that one. I loved You're it. Really proud we'll end, that on that. Uh, we'll end on that. I'll, I'll end on that. Yeah, All there right.
0: you go. Let's go to might mean too much. This happened signing day. Um, this was Eli Drinkwitz's welcome to the SEC moment. Never you make fun of
1: this. I'm going to punch you through the phone. No, 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 no. Okay.
0: Never in the history of signing day has a three-star recruit gotten this type of – recorded excitement from a head coach from a head coach recorded excitement i'm sure there have been other coaches who have been more excited but by now you've probably all seen the video of the new mizzou coach freaking out when he learned that texas cornerback ennis rakeshaw chose mizzou over bama and texas he initially picked up the texas hat i think too Um, so the emotion on his face when you're watching this video it sort of progresses in a way that is just Tough to see coming, and and all of a sudden you're yeah. just like, oh, he's on one right now. There, there is no, you couldn't, you could tell him his mom died, and I think he'd still be so fired up in this Whoa. moment. Like it's, <laughs> seriously, he blacks out from excitement. He, yeah. He's going through all the different what? offices. Let's go! I mean, shouldering shouldering doors open. Every like doesn't matter. Nothing is getting in his way. This yeah. was his big victory. Even Lane Kiffin shared it and said it was awesome. Yeah. It was that cool of a moment. The emotion. Still threw
1: some shade, but yeah. I
0: don't. I don't think it was shade. I think it was actually Lane. I trying like to that
1: be. sweater too. It's a good look. I was like, <laughs> yeah, the mustard, the mustard yellow sweater. I bet you did, Lane. This is.
0: uh this is a welcome to the SEC moment. This is a sign. If you're a Mizzou fan, if you're wondering, you know, and I think he closed his class really well, actually. Shout out to both, yeah. to both, by the way, Eli Drinkwitz and Sam Pittman for the way that they closed their class. Baby. Sam Pittman, my God. The heavy lifting he did down the stretch to end up with a Sick. top 30 class is unbelievable. These two guys, though, who did a lot of work in the last month. And I think seeing that moment was a little bit of a peel behind the onion is it to say this matters a lot. And win- winning battles yeah. like that is going to be kind of what determines his future at Mizzou.
1: So I, I want to say this because we didn't have a show. I just realized we didn't have a show after after post-signing day. Biggest takeaways from signing day that I want to give shout-outs to, because we expect Georgia Bam- – shout-out to Georgia first off for closing with the number one class. That was awesome. Um, the fact they were able to close with that. I-, I hate the narrative that we try to post about on, on STS. And the narrative that comes out of me is like, oh, yeah, what have they done with it? Or, like, whatever about national championships. These kind of recruiting classes are making a big difference. And you can say whatever about Mark Richt and what he did a long time ago. This is different. I think what Kirby's able to build and the people he's bringing in. Um, Shout out, that also makes the fact that that in the last decade, the SEC finished with the number one ranked class in the country eight out of ten times. Which was only two teams, but still um wait I thought now, that was pretty impressive i had
0: i had them down for in 24 7 they they finished with the number one class each of the last 10 years dating back to 2011 when bama first started its streak yeah. bama and georgia are the only two teams that have that have had the number
1: one recruiting class in the country that's what i just said i think you said eight
0: out of the last 10
1: no if i did i didn't mean to say that right, eight good. out of the last 10 was bama and then, like, or, and then two like out of the two last two three was georgia, was georgia. So, yeah, yeah. They've, they've done they've done it for a decade straight regardless maybe, that's, maybe i miss, misspoke regardless thought that was cool Tennessee closing with a top ten class. That's where I say, like, like we expect the. I'm not trying to like gloss over Georgia, Bama, LSU, or even Florida and Auburn because we kind of expect them to have these like bigger classes and finish in the top ten, in my opinion. But the fact that Tennessee was able to jump up in the in the top ten was awesome. The fact that South Carolina was able to hold on to a guy like Jordan Burch was awesome. Kentucky finishing in the top twenty five class. You have thirteen of the fourteen teams finishing the top fifty. And Sam effing Pittman if you're an Arkansas fan this has to get you so fired up it made me fired up and I'm I've been a lifelong Alabama fan and and I think for most people in the SEC haven't thought twice about the University of Arkansas from like a football standpoint unless it's like like not in a rude way but kind of like making fun of it or like in jest because of the the past two seasons under under, uh, uh, Chad Morris the greatest OC in the history of man Um, but the fact that Sam Pittman was able to close he was literally ranked behind Harvard when he took over. Think about that, Connor. He was right behind Harvard in his recruiting class. close to the top 30 class. I thought that was awesome. This Eli Drinkowitz thing, Mizzou, I know they closed to the 48. I know Mizzou is literally the team that gets crapped on the most in the SEC, and and you guys know my stance on that because I hate it. This kid was from Texas. He did not go to Texas. He picked up the Texas hat, threw it, like you said. Bama, he said, was his dream school. It, this is one of those things we talked about where these kids come in late, or these, these coaches come in late and offer and then it kind of takes away from these other other you know middle middle tier recruiting classes. The fact that he and even as a Bama fan, the fact that he spurned Bama, which was his quote unquote dream school, and went with the school that offered him first, I loved it. I love the whole thing was awesome.
0: SEC flexed on everybody on signing day. Everyone, I mean, everyone, seven seven teams in the top ten. I mean,
1: <laughs> come
0: on, come on. Dude,
1: Bama and Georgia alone. You, you see the breakdown of five stars. They had fifteen, so they had more than half for the second year in a row. But the fact that Bama and Georgia alone had the same amount of five stars as the entire Big Ten combined is stupid. Each, each I mean, that's just stupid.
0: As I said, there's a reason that the playoff has been that one-sided and why the Big Ten yeah. has struggled so much in the playoff, and that is largely responsible for it. Marler, Facebook Live Monday nights before the Bachelor. Before you, uh, do you record? Do you record your Bachelor podcast on? on monday night afterwards or do you wait till midweek
1: we wait till midweek because we've had well last week there were two episodes which sucked um but we're all three in different time zones so oh like, yeah like Kristen's in alabama page's in san francisco um i'm live from williams birch stadium every single week <laughs> and so it is uh it is it's like we're we we would like to do it tomorrow but it's it's just kind of tough trying to figure out like all the different weeks we've had uh I don't know. We had, um, we'll we'll probably record it tomorrow at some point or Wednesday. Madison's totally going to win. Yeah.
0: We're recording this before the the Monday night episode, but yes, the Auburn basketball player, it's about the SEC. It's totally going to win. It's, it's, it's obvious at this point. All right. Marler. Um, make sure that if you are not following all of Marlowe's great content on SDS social media platforms, you should be doing so. Follow us on Instagram at SardegonSouth. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod at Fern Funquist. At CJ O'Gara, we're gonna have a lot of stuff going up. We have so much stuff. I feel like March Madness is, is bright, right around the corner, and I'm gonna start paying attention to basketball more. I promise. Uh, but we have so much great stuff going up on SDS right now. I'm really excited about it. Like I said, I'm gonna have that Justin Jefferson story hopefully coming out this uh, weekend. So, appreciate everybody who has been following along for all things SDS and is here through basketball season. Find all of our great yeah. XFL coverage as well. We got yep. all of it. So Marler, Coach Joe, Matt Luke, Ron Jeremy,
1: anybody else that we need, <laughs> we need to remember. It might mean too much, y'all. Talk to you next week.